Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. And good afternoon and welcome to the Fan Midday Show from the DriveHubler.com studio alongside Jimmy Cook and our producer James Adams. My name is Brian Hammonds. We are back behind the mic for day two of my stint here at 107.5. Very happy to be with you. And I want to start the show today, fellows, with a public service announcement. I'm always down for those. If you're heading west on I-70 toward downtown Indianapolis, watch your speed. Fine men and women of the Indiana State Police are doing a terrific job in uh, patrolling that area. I passed probably five state troopers in a quarter mile with cars pulled over and and several others on overpasses looking for more. So watch your speed if you're heading to downtown Indianapolis on I-70. That explains why I was able to get here so efficiently. I didn't go I-70. Everybody was over there. Luckily, one of those cars wasn't me, but uh, you can thank me later. uh, The fine people at the Indiana State Police are doing a nice job patrolling that area. Interesting article column this morning in the Indianapolis Star from Greg Doyle. And, of course, this is what all the national shows are talking about now. After that cryptic social media post yesterday from Lamar Jackson. You we talked about it leaves. yesterday. Yep. Yeah, you got to try to read between the lines. Yep. You know, is Lamar Jackson now on the trading block? Will he be traded? Well, Greg Doyle thinks that the Colts should trade for him and also bring his offensive coordinator, uh, Greg Roman, on as the head coach. We talked about this yesterday, and I will say I support half of that column in that I would welcome with open arms Lamar Jackson if the Colts can acquire him at a price that doesn't totally, and you and I talked about this off-air, ruin what you're trying to build in the near future. Because you put Lamar Jackson on this team, and let's say it's just for the sake of argument, two first-round picks and... Jonathan Taylor. Again, that's just a hypothetical trade. I'm not saying to do that. I don't even know if that's enough to make a move uh, for Lamar Jackson. Not. It's probably not. But just for the sake of argument, let's say that would be the package deal. You still realize that even adding Lamar Jackson and then working with the picks that you have the remainder of this draft, you are, with a talent like Lamar Jackson, definitely right back in the hunt at the top of the AFC South. It's you and Jacksonville at that point in my mind. Are you a true championship contender once again no there's still stuff that needs to be built out after that move so i'm fine with that but you kind of talked me off a ledge a little bit brian off of the or off of my uh as i was about to make a plunge into this pool for lamar jackson you kind of talked me back off the diving board so to speak because you're right with the leverage the ravens have the price tag to go get him would probably exceed where this franchise is right now. Yeah, I don't think, and and if you want to join this conversation, call us at 317-239-1070. I don't think if you add Lamar Jackson to this roster, you're a playoff team. You might be, you're a lot closer than you were this year, but I'm not sure you're a playoff team. You're certainly not a championship team if just putting Lamar roster or Lamar Jackson on this roster. Now, because you're, it's going to take so much to get him you're kind of mortgaging your future. So I don't I don't know if that's a move the Colts would make. Um, it would certainly be tempting to try, though. It would be very tempting to try. And the other element in the room, and we don't talk about this a lot, but I just thought about it just now. Whenever there's a trade 
between rivals of sorts, particularly in division, like if the Texans and Colts are going to make a trade, you're like, oh, that's never going to happen because the the politics, the move in the NFL. I mean, I don't have it in front of me, and maybe I'll research it during the break, but I wonder how many acquisitions both the Colts and the Ravens have made since the Colts came here from Baltimore. Because that that's one of those moves where it is there's still some bad blood within those fan bases. I would assume there's still a little animosity within the organizations as well to a point that would the deal even happen for that regard? So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of hurdles to get from point A right now, which is no quarterback, to point B of acquiring Lamar Jackson. However, he is such a dynamic player. And when you look at the list of top QBs in this league right now, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, in no particular order, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Galen Hurts, Lamar Jackson. You're, I mean, th- those are the first six names that are popping up off your list. He's 26 years old. I know he's had injuries this past year, and I understand that that style of quarterback, of being able to do it both with your legs and with your arm, has often been viewed in a negative light because of the risk of injury putting your body on the line. They're saying the same thing with Josh Allen at times, which is why he wasn't as run first, or he didn't run the ball as much this year, did Josh Allen. My overall point is, I know there's risk there, but you know what Lamar Jackson is, and if the price was right, and that's a massive if, he makes your team way better than, in the short term, a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud would, in my mind. I still think that this is all just fodder for national shows and talk radio sure. at this point, and you're st- he's still going to be with Baltimore next They have year. all the momentum. They Absolutely. can tag him. They, they, can, they can do whatever they want to retain his services. His only option would be to sit out if they don't make a move for him. Well, the Butler Bulldogs got beat handily last night, uh, 73-52. When they're losing in the Big East, they're losing by a lot. I mean, they're losing by an average of over 20 points. Uh, same same situation last night. And whenever the Bulldogs struggle, and I'm a Butler guy, I mean, I, through and through, but whenever the Bulldogs struggled, you hear people saying, well, they never should have left the Atlantic 10. I don't, I don't agree with that, but it makes you think. I mean, do they have an Atlantic 10 roster trying to play in the Big East? I don't think that this year they do. I think this year is a product of they are still trying to find out who they are, not only under first-year head coach Thad Mata, but also with the fact they've dealt with so many injuries this year. In the past, particularly the early goings of Big East play, there were seasons where it was like, this is probably a team that would be top of the A-10, but it's bottom of the Big East. But I still think, and I'm curious, you know, as an alum, your thoughts on this as well, that Butler had to do in that stretch of time from their runs to the national championship game to their ascension from conference to conference, they had to do everything they could at the height of their powers to set up their basketball program to be a, a national conversation piece, to be in some regard a national destination. And in every conference you could be in, not name the Big Ten and the SEC, Big East is right there with the rest of the pack. So, no, I'm not mad at them. And I don't think you are either for that decision. But it's going to take time. And I knew this when they made the hire. I was thrilled they made the hire for Thad Mata because he's a proven head coach. He's one of the winningest head coach in all of college basketball but he's going to need more than one year to suddenly make this team a true threat in the Big East. Yeah, and you can't turn your back on the money that they're getting from the no from the Big East and from Fox Television. You're on every game is on national television. Uh, you don't get that in the Atlantic Ten. Uh, the, the only question that I had and have had over the years is their commitment 
to playing in the Big East. Because when you look at the athletic budgets, and I don't know if it's still the case, but for the past several years, Butler's athletic budget or basketball budget has been at the bottom of the Big East. So if you're going to play with the big boys, yeah. you got to act like a big boy. Uh, but I don't think Thad Mata would have taken that job if the commitment wasn't there. Uh, I have all the faith in the world in Thad Mata and what he's going to do with that program. I, you know, yes, they should be in the Big East. They had that opportunity. They took it. If you're in the A-10, that's a one-bid league. You better win the league or you're not going to the tournament. If you're in the Big East, you could finish fifth or sixth and you're still going to the tournament. And if you ask either conference, if you ask the top teams in the A-10 or the bottom teams in the Big East, hey, would you guys like to switch positions? No way in hell. No, no way in no. hell anybody from the Big East is going to be like, yeah, you know, I really wish we were an A-10 program. Because not only, and I know it's not my father's Big East, right? I understand that it is a different mold of the Big East than it was of yesteryear when you had a Syracuse in the mix there and, and, and Georgetown at the height of their powers. But you still have, like Georgetown, even though they're... Lord, Lord be with Pat Ewing, but my God, are they bad. How would you like to be the guy that has to fire him? <laughs> I wouldn't want oh, to be that man. guy at all. I would, that would be a sick day for me, Brian. I don't know about <laughs> you, but I'll let the assistant uh, take care of that. But they're still, they are a brand name conference with brand name programs within it to a point that any mid-major school, if given the opportunity, would take that leap. Oh, there's no question. So that's why I don't have buyer's remorse on it. As a, you know, like I said, I know I'm an IU alum and I'm an IU fan, but my parents went to Butler. I have a Butler ties as well. I'm a Bulldog fan too. I'm not mad any moment that Butler is there, but I also know, and it's been clear with the injuries this year, and I knew it when they made the hire, Thad needs a little bit of time. It, this is this is a, man, I wish they were better this year type of thing, but it's not a, oh, I need them to be uh, champions of the Big East right now. Get that out of there. That's by no means what either one of us are saying. Yeah, and they were picked preseason to finish eighth in the conference, right. and that's about where right. they're going to end up. So uh, I guess the prognosticators are pretty accurate, but they've, they've had to deal with so many injuries, and it is Thad's first year, and I, I, I'm excited to see what he does recruiting-wise and bringing in transfers, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a process at Butler as they try to get back to where they were several years ago. Um, you're a play-by-play guy, right? I am indeed. Who do you like to listen to? Who's your favorite play-by-play? Kevin Harlan's one of my favorites, both on the TV and the radio side. Uh, Mike Tirico, Al Michaels, of course. Um, just off the top, Don Fisher, obviously. Oh, gosh, yes, yeah. Um, when you're going localized, and obviously a special place in my heart is my alma mater. But yeah, I mean, the those are off the top some of my favorites to do it right now. I'm also, this is, you talked about uh, sometimes personalities that can be annoying for some. My most polarizing favorite announcer. Gus Johnson. Is, no, but I do like Gus. Oh, okay. John Sterling. And a lot of people don't like John because he's very theatrical and he's he, he has a song for every home run that's hit and he's a little corny, but, you know, I love the Yankees. My dad was a Yankees fan, and, and so I, I like Sterling. I do, but a lot of people... Do not like John for those very reasons. There were some announcers, and this this will go back several years, that when you heard them, you knew it was a big event. Names like Pat Summerall, uh, Dick Enberg. Al Michaels is still that guy. Yes. You know, you hear Al Michaels on a game, it's a big deal. Uh, Jim Nance is that way now. When, when you hear Nance, okay, this is an important game. Um, Bob Costas, maybe? No, I, I, I love Bob, my tr- Bob annoys me nowadays. Yeah, I'll tell you yeah why he second, gets on that soapbox. And, and, and it, it, particularly during playoff games, like he he is so good at, at telling stories, but sometimes to a fault where it's like, I just want to know what's happening in the game. 
and I don't need a, a backstory of, of the batter's fifth cousin that, you know, it had a hole in one at Augusta. I don't I don't need that. You mentioned Mike Tirico, and I love Mike. He is so talented, and I've worked a little bit with Mike. Um, he is so talented, but I think he was so overexposed when he was with ESPN. He was on everything. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't like you associated him with, okay, this is a big deal. This is Pat Summerall, or this is right. Jim Nance or Dick Enberg. Uh, but but talent-wise, there's nobody there's nobody better. We did have a couple of phone calls in regards to your earlier query about Lamar Jackson, if you wanted to head that route in this opening segment. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to the phones. All righty. I think James is answering one right now. So when he has a second again earlier today, earlier in the opening segment, I beg your pardon, we've been talking about Lamar Jackson and a piece in the Indianapolis Star by Greg Doyle regarding how he would like them to go get Lamar Jackson. Uh, myself and Brian talked about it yesterday that if he was available with the disgruntled media post, social media post he had this past weekend, maybe that's the direction the Colts go. Let's hear from Jeff calling into the fan midday show. Jeff, what's going on? Hey, fellas. How you doing? Good. How are you? Great. Good. I think the Colts have got to learn that I don't think anybody really has a lot of success giving up your number one draft picks, first-round draft picks, I'm sorry. Um, Buckner was decent, but they're wasting Buckner because they've got no offense. And my biggest thing is tell me a running QB that has won the Super Bowl. And I'm talking about a running – Mahomes is not a running quarterback. He's a thrower – that he picks his, his I would agree with that. He can he can run, but he's not it's not a run first guy. Right. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that's and that's where I had the big problem this year with I got it for you. The line stunk. But the line the line also got beat up because both ends on the people that played us knew that Matt Ryan was not gonna step up and run. He was no threat and there was so much pressure on the ends. I I don't know why they didn't play Sam the entire game or entire season unless it was because they wanted a draft pick, which I hope that wasn't the case. But I just don't Lamar's shelf life getting hurt. I'm tired of us getting the hookers and these people that are hurt and I I'm not, number one, if anybody gives up two number ones and Jonathan Taylor for him, uh, Lamar, they need to have their head examined. I mean there's and I know you were just throwing that out there but there is absolutely no way I'd ever give up a number one, let alone two. Um, I mean, you look at Stroud. Does he run? He does, but he showed in the Georgia game that he can throw the ball. And that's – you need a guy that can it's throw first, but he has the ability with, to, to do some things with his legs. So well, He's become a better pocket passer. He's become a better passer. He, it, would you – really consider him a, a running quarterback at this point? No. No, not at all. I, I agree with you. He's, he, his pocket passing has improved a bunch, and that's the kind of guy you want. You want these people. Josh Allen started to throw more, um, and again, I'll go to something I've said on other talk shows. I don't care who your quarterback is. If you don't got, have receivers that can get open and create space and get yards after catch, I, I don't care if you've got Tom Brady 10 years ago. It's, it's not going to work. So there's there's a lot of components around him that you've got to go find as well. You know, uh, I want to I want to ask Mike Chapel this later when he joins us at uh, one o'clock. But is it really fair to judge this receiving core this year when you couldn't even throw it downfield to to give him a fair shake? 
No, Brian, I think you're right. Um, you know, I had, I had a big problem. You can't lose two offensive linemen. You can't let Reed and, and Glowinski both go. I get one of them. Um, but you're right. They didn't have a lot of time. But, but I also put that on a little bit on you've got no quarterback that's going to step up and run. He's no threat to run. They don't have to worry about that. No defense has to worry about that whatsoever. And still, I mean, it doesn't appear to me when, when I watch the receivers in a game, they're still not getting much separation. Um, and don't even – I mean, play calling, I think, is atrocious. You look at these guys. Look at Kansas City. They are so creative. Look at some of the things that some of the teams did in the playoffs last weekend. There's so much creative and, and misdirection. That's what the NFL is all about these days. We, we did that one half of one game, and I remember whoever was announcing the game said – Man, the Colts did a really good job on misdirection. Oh, that's what all these teams with the NFL that have success do these days. So um, there's a there's a hodgepodge of things. I'm just a running quarterback. I'd rather take my chances with somebody in one of those three that maybe we don't know about. Um, I'm still – I got. I mean, Ellinger, he played great against Washington. If it hadn't been for a drop, they win that game. I've got news for you. I think Peyton Manning looked bad his entire career against Belichick. Belichick makes all kinds of quarterbacks look bad. And then he, he played decent in the other games. Yeah, he threw a couple bad throws, but that's going to come in time. I don't think he looked bad. Jeff, I, 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 don't, I don't. I appreciate the call. I appreciate you listening. Thanks for joining the program. A couple things there because Jeff needs Jeff his own had, show. Jeff had me for a lot there until we got into Sam Ellinger and, and even if it was inadvertently bringing up Peyton Manning in the same breath. Look, I'm not going to come here and disparage Sam Ellinger as a person, but I'm going to trust the Colts to an extent that you did not see as much as fans wanted to see of Sam Ellinger because there's nothing to see of <laughs> Sam Ellinger. If you put Sam Ellinger in a, in a truly like fine-tuned system, maybe you have a type of if you're a really bullish fan of Sam Ellinger, maybe there, there's Brock Purdy vibes there, perhaps. I don't know, but that's not a situation the Colts can gamble on. And on top of that, and I know this wasn't what Jeff was saying, but if the option is like people that want to advocate for Sam Ellinger, I'm not going to sit here and advocate for Sam Ellinger when Bryce Young or CJ Stroud are around the corner. I guess maybe if you want to have him as a stopgap, that's fine. But Ellinger hasn't done anything for me. And I think in the organization's eyes, to put a thought in my head that he is going to be your stopgap until a young or a Stroud is ready. And and one more thing, uh, you have to give up at least two first-round picks for the most part to move up in these drafts. Granted, the Chiefs were 27th overall when they made their move to get Mahomes. The Colts are fourth, but they gave up two first-rounders and a third to move up 17 spots to get Mahomes. So it does take that kind of price tag if you believe in your guy comment on the YouTube chat that John Elway and Brett Favre were runners and they won Super Bowls. Those guys weren't running quarterbacks. I mean, not, yeah, not, they not ran that when they had exactly. to, but they, they, they were they great are, passers. They are, they are like Mahomes in that sense that they're, they're, not, they're not run first guys, but they're willing to do it and they pick their spots when they do it. And that's what Jeff was kind of alluding to at the start of that call. Well, it's an interesting conversation, getting some interesting um Interesting comments on the YouTube chat. Uh, one guy's very fascinated with uh, with Lamar Jackson, but thinks it would be a too too high of a price to pay to pay a guy two hundred and fifty million. And I, I kind of agree with that. I think the price would be too high. I mean, look, if you're making the move to begin with, let, let's get that off the table. If you're making the move with the assets you'd have to move to get him you already know the price you're stomaching it to begin with because you're not making a move for Lamar Jackson unless there's an agreement upon 
an extension. But if, let's just say for the sake of argument, because Lamar Jackson, not you, but the audience can criticize Lamar as much as they want. He is, in that list I mentioned, one of the top six, top seven quarterbacks in the NFL right now, despite all the injuries that he's dealt with this year. When he's healthy, he's one of the best. And you really need to look when evaluating this type of decision, and the Colts would do the same thing if they were entertaining trying to get Lamar Jackson. And who knows? It might very well be, just like you mentioned, fodder that is just being through the national cycle. But if we're entertaining this conversation, is Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, at the height of whatever they're going to be, going to be as good or better than Lamar Jackson? That's what I would do. And if the answer is no, he's 26 years old, is Lamar Jackson, and Stroud or Young, if they are close or they are less than, at some point when that big contract comes along, that's the baseline for big-time quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes, reset the market. Kyler Murray, reset the market. Aaron Rodgers, reset the market. Like th- that, that is your get-in-the-door price to get a long-term contract on a quarterback. If you believe in the guy, I'm sorry, you pay him, regardless of who it is. If it's Lamar, if it's whatever iteration Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud will be, whoever the Colts go get. I'm staying at number four or trying to trade up. Yes. To get that, my quarterback my, for the yeah. future. And then you got him under a rookie deal. Yep. You can do some other things for the next few years to try to get better around him. That's that's where I stay. I, that's where I stand, Pat. I, I, I would be intrigued if Lamar Jackson was available. But uh, A, I don't think he will be. And B, I think I would stand, Pat. And that's the sweet spot with a lot of these teams. Or not a lot of them, but a handful of teams that have been able to win Super Bowls very early on in their quarterbacks' tenures have been because those rookie contracts, even today, are still so flexible with where you want to spend elsewhere in the cap. Again, once you pay a quarterback that big money, you have to make gymnastics with it to continue to balance out your roster. Kansas City made that decision already, uh, training away Tyreek Hill this past year. You've seen the Packers try to navigate through it, getting rid of Devontae Adams. That is life in the NFL. When you pay a quarterback, you have to be a top-level GM to find value at those other positions, the best way to kind of give yourself, to your point, a buffer is those rookie deals, finding the right quarterback, building around them, overpaying for other position, luxury positions that put you in a position to be a contender. If you want to join our conversation, give us a call, 317-239-1070. We'll talk more Colts with Mike Chappell when he joins us at 1 o'clock. Paul Corsaro, the head basketball coach at UND, will join us at 1.30. Chris Denary will talk about tonight's Pacers game at Oklahoma City at 2 o'clock. And Nate Taylor will talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and more specifically their offensive coordinator who has has been or will be interviewed by the Indianapolis Colts. You are listening to the Fan Midday Show. Stay with us. 93.5 and 107.5. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Fan. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and Brian Hammonds coming to you from the drivehubor.com studios. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can do to you can do so on YouTube. Go to youtube.com, search 1075 the fan or search the Fan Midday Show. Click on there and engage in the YouTube chat. Hey, I'm kind of buried. You can't even see me on YouTube. Can't see you on no, YouTube. I'm buried behind all the microphones and stuff. Would do you want to Swap seats? No, I just... You have a better mug than I do. I guess there's no need to put on makeup. I mean, I'm not... (laughs) (laughs) 
you're, you're one better than me if you did that this morning because uh, no, I, no. I, I did not. That's the that's the great thing about radio. <laughs> I no longer have to put on makeup. Yes, <laughs> one less thing to worry about to start the day, eh? There was a post uh, on a couple different spots last night that I'm, I'm sure you saw, Brian, but it, uh, our own Kevin Bowen had it as well as Tom Pelissero. But as the Colts head coaching search continues to roll right along, a name that was very popular both amongst Colts fans and among national pundits as a head coach, not just for the Colts, but across the board, was Ben Johnson, a 36-year-old offensive coordinator from the Lions, now reportedly returning to Detroit. You can analyze that however you want. My thought on it, it, it stinks from the Colts' perspective because I really like Ben Johnson and I like the idea of a young, offensive-minded coach. But back end of the season for Dan Campbell and company, Lions were a very fun team. They're, they think they're right there next year to fully competing in the North. You know, I'd like to think that this is just a young guy, 36 years old, that is just self-aware. This is his first year as an offensive coordinator. Maybe he's, you know, because he's had interest elsewhere. I mean, he interviewed with the Colts, and I think he's interviewed with a few other teams. Uh, maybe he just takes a step back and goes, you know, I'm not sure I'm ready for that step yet, which would be very mature of a guy that realizes that. I mean, he's 36. He knows he's if the Lions are going to continue to have success, and they're certainly trending upwards, he's going to get opportunities and maybe better opportunities that are available right now. Yeah, and that's probably the mix, right? It's a blend of, you would think, if you're trying to put your shoes on as him, that at 36 years old, you look around, he's one of the younger candidates. Mike Kafka at 35, pardon me, is the youngest other candidate uh, the Colts currently have on their interview list. But additionally, and you really hit the nail on the head there, is that if you're with an organization that has continued to trend up, you're going to continue to be coveted at least in these next couple years as a coaching cycle. And at minimum, put your feet in the water, go through the interview process, and if you want to return, hey, so be it. I'm sure Dan Campbell will welcome you back with open arms, as they've done reportedly. Yeah, yeah if Detroit you know, takes the next step next year and they make the playoffs, well, now you're not just be requested, you're not being requested by three teams, you're being requested by eight. You know, So his stock is only going to go up if Detroit continues to, uh, to win. I've thought about this a lot over the last couple of days. The Colts continue to go through the interview process, and we're going to have Nate Taylor of The Athletic. He's a beat reporter for the Kansas City Chiefs over there at The Athletic. He's going to join us at the bottom of the 2 o'clock hour. But And there's super bias filled in here with me. I'll put that up the, at the front. I love Andy Reid. I think he and Bill Belichick are the two best, at least in terms of just name recognition and innovation, the two best coaches in the NFL. I want somebody from Andy Reid's coaching tree if that's who the Colts are interviewing. And they're interviewing a couple of them. Eric Bieni, Eric Bieniemy is one of them. That's who we're going to talk to about Nate Taylor. He's interviewed, I think, 16 different spots or 16 different interviews he's had over the last four or five years as the Chiefs offensive coordinator. Why hasn't he been hired? Is this the year he's going to be hired? All those questions we're going to ask Nate at 2.30. But additionally, a guy like Mike Kafka, you're going young with that one, but he's someone that is from both the Brian Dable who was with Andy Reid, and Kafka himself has worked with Andy Reid before. All those are offensive minds that have worked underneath Andy Reid. And our last caller, Jeff, when he called in the last segment, said he wants somebody that's innovative, that's creative. People from those coaching trees, generally speaking, 
have that creativity, that ingenuity, having studied under Coach Reed for a number of seasons. Well, and Kafka's a former NFL quarterback, right. too. And I like that. I like that in coaches that they've been there, done that. They've learned a lot from a lot of different people. Uh, so Kafka's certainly a guy to keep an eye on. He's not interviewing this week because, right. uh, you know, Brian Dable said, uh-uh. They do have the request in, but yeah, you're, <laughs> yeah. You're, we got playoff not this games. Week, still pal, we got things to do. Uh, <laughs> do we want to uh, – we have a caller on the line. Do we want to switch gears and talk Pacers with Charles? Absolutely. Charles, you're on the air, bud. Hey, how's it going? Uh, big fan listening to everything. Want to talk Pacers, of course. You know, I just saw that Benedict Mathurin has the most points per game by a player off the bench ever. And, uh, you know, guess who uh, he just beat out in front? Michael Jordan, of course. You know, I really think Valley Sports is doing a disservice to Pacer fans by, you know, I feel like not many people are able to watch this team. And, you know, with Tyrese Halliburton injured and everything, a lot of promise with this young squad. And, you know, I'm... It'd be funny thinking, uh, you know, who might be a good fit for this team going forward. You you said Matherin just passed Michael Jordan for the most points coming off the bench. Yep. When did when did Jordan ever come off the bench? Well, I think uh, in his early days in Chicago. But. Thank you for the call, Charles. Appreciate you, sir. Additionally, because a number of different reasons, I happen to like Bally Sports, and we're also having Kristen Neri on a little bit later, so I take suspect to that. But hey, if you have a problem with Bally, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Uh, our own Mark Boyle, Pat Boyle, and Eddie Gill, Eddie White have you covered there from noon until 3. Additionally, that's not a stat that I've seen circulate on Twitter, but if it is, good for Benedict Matherin, but we're not drawing comparisons to the greatest player of all time and a rookie out of Arizona, even though I do love Eggs Benny, as I've affectionately called him over the last couple of weeks, and you do have, and you do have ways to watch uh, the Pacers on on Valley Sports. Yeah, they've done a number of different ways. Cable over the top, right. they have their on-demand service right now. A Directv Stream has it, I believe. Fubo does as well. So I, I don't appreciate the the cheap shot out of the gate, uh, particularly when it's a. Uh, you know, right next with our operation here, 935 the fan with the radio broadcasts, and you can tag team it as well, getting a little bit of Bally, getting a little bit of the fan also. So, uh, in general, I uh, didn't appreciate the way that that call was shaking up. But from a perspective of his point about Benedict Matherin, the point in itself, regardless of the, the need for may, maybe or may not passing Michael Jordan, if that stat is valid, he has been arguably the most electric rookie this season outside of Paulo Bencaro uh, a couple weeks ago. I was still in the camp that maybe you're giving him both six man of the year and rookie of the year, his promise and what he is trending towards in this, his first season in the NBA makes Pacers fans giddy and should make you very excited for the direction where this team is headed. Uh, so I just looked it up and Matherin is averaging 17.3 points per game for the Pacers. He's coming off the bench that makes him the highest scoring player off the bench in NBA history with at least 30 games played. MJ came off the bench for the Wizards multiple times in the later part of his ah. career. He only averaged 16.7. Charles knew what he was talking right. about. Oh, I, oh, I, I tipped the cap for Charles on the See? stat, but I but I don't regret that. I didn't appreciate the side swipe on, on, <laughs> on, on Chris Daneri and Quid Buckner and Jeremiah Johnson and the fine folks over there at Bally. Charles knew what he was talking about. <laughs> he, he did. He did. I, I would not have pegged. Uh, I, w- I would not have picked that year. Out of a hat, and right. I don't think I think right. you would have either. But well, Matherin's interesting. The fact that he is coming off the bench, I don't think Rick Carlisle likes playing rookies that much. Although he's you know starting Andrew Nebhard, sure. But it's, it is an interesting role for the for the sixth player in the draft to come off the bench. There are certain avenues to earn 
real like because the minutes are still there, right? For Mather, oh, yeah. it's, it's just at this point minutes. he just he just not starting, but he has the minutes to back it up. So it's really a formality at this point, and I think that the culture the Pacers have in general over there that's not something that Matherin's worried about. That's not something that team is worried about. That being said, though, to your point about Nemhard. When you look at how this rotation starts and where you think want to be, both from an offensive and, more importantly, a defensive perspective, that is half the battle, the physicality, the toughness, and just the tone-setting ability of Nemhard that has earned him that starting role within these cast of rookies right now. Matherin's going to be a starter someday. Oh, yeah. that, that's inevitable, but he's getting the minutes already to back it up. It's just a title issue. You really have to tip your cap to Kevin Pritchard and the scouting staff of the Indiana Pacers for finding Nebhard in the second round. And again, you know, talking to people within the organization, they say this kid has no idea how good he can be. Sure. And to find this guy in the second round and and now he's a starter for you, man, that's a that's a really good find. And on top of that, and I don't I don't know Kevin Pritchard personally, so you know, I don't know if he's the type of guy that internally he feels this way, but he got bashed, and at the time, rightfully so, because this organization has mishandled drafts over the last couple of years. All it takes is one, though, Brian. All it takes is one hammer out of the park of hitting basically every pick they made. It is a one-year sample size, but you're feeling the impact made of probably what will go down as, as one of, if not the most successful draft that Kevin Pritchard has had running the show with Indiana. Now, you brought up, you know, I guess Charles brought up Bally Sports, but look, while we're on the subject of television, have you followed Live Golf at all? Here and there. I follow the tour more still than I do Live, but obviously those two of the bridges have crossed so often that you see the. They're asking every PGA Tour and every Live golfer about the other side of the fence. You can't miss it by following one. You know? Well, with my you know, 21 years with the golf channel, I can't go anywhere without somebody <laughs> saying, hey, what do you think about Live Golf? But, what do you think about Live well, Golf? Well, it it's being reported that they're very close, and it may be announced in the next few days, to landing a television deal, something they haven't had previously. Last year, all of their events were streamed, either on their website or on YouTube, and um now they're very close to landing a television deal, according to a multiple reports with CW, the C, the CW network. Now, that's not NBC. It's not CBS. No. It's not ESPN. And that's what I wanted to ask you, having been in the industry, because I chuckled a bit when I saw the headline. But then when you take a step back, you realize it is a network and it's a massive accomplishment still for this organization. It's, no? a, it's a game changer for them. You know, it's it's 65 million homes from what I understand. Um, 65 million is not a huge number when you compare it to ESPN and certainly the over-the-air networks, but it's a good start. Um, so I, that's a game changer. You know, now you can, because it, it's it was difficult for people to find their events last year. Uh, now it'll be a lot easier. If you're wondering what the CW network is here locally, that's Channel 8. It's Wish TV. Uh, so you'll be able to watch, you know, Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson and Cam Smith. And uh, so I think it's a game changer for Liv. I mean, anytime you're able to plant your flag somewhere with a network, we've seen, and I know that it's this is a difficult path I'm going down because NBC and Xfinity and Comcast branch own so many different arms of the machine, USA Network, uh, uh just go across the board. USA Network, NBC, they have Peacock they're launching now as well. So the CW doesn't have that same flash and flair. But when you look at just this methodical rise of live golf, and again, I can't speak on this as well as somebody like you that's been in that side of the sports world for so long, but they continue to 
whether it's the names they sign or whether it is now a television deal, legitimize and put more eyeballs on this product to a point that I've always been fascinated by it. And I want to ask you, is there... Does PGA Tour feel this? Oh, my God, sweat, yes. legit sweat in the room? Absolutely. Now, the PGA Tour has made a lot of changes since... First of all, the tour could have gotten out in front of this much, much better than they did. They didn't do it, and Liv you know, took a lot of their big-name players, and they're probably not done taking big-name players. I, I look at this, and those of us in Indianapolis, and especially those that follow racing, I look at this like the split in IndyCar that happened in the mid-'90s. Sure. Cart and IRL. It's kind of the same thing. Now, you, nationally, nobody knows what you're talking about when you bring that up. But here locally, right. they understand, okay, that was a bad deal. You know, some of the best IndyCar teams were over in one league and some of them were here in the IRL. Well, that's what you're finding, at, that's what you're finding in golf now. And the PGA Tour is not allowing those players that have gone to live golf to play PGA Tour events. So Cam Smith, who won the Open Championship last year, he also won the Players' Championship won't be able to defend at the players. So, yeah, the tour's feeling it. You lose a Dustin Johnson and a Bryson DeChambeau yeah. and a Brooks Kepka, that's a big deal. Now, the Masters last week or a couple of weeks ago, um, they said, we're going to – if you've qualified for the Masters, you come play. I don't care what tour you're on. Uh, the U.S. Open and the and the Open Championship, it's, it's open, so they won't have any issues there. The one that will be interesting to keep an eye on is the PGA. If you what had, is the PGA going to do? If you had to guess – if we're fast-forwarding three, four, five years down the line, how does this end? Are both leagues coexisting, or is one end up cannibalizing the other to an extent that only one remains? I would think, no, I would think they both coexist. Yeah. I, coexist may not be the right sure. word. They both exist. Sure. <laughs> um, because there's animosity there um, between the two. As long as Greg Norman is running live, there there's animosity. Now, personally, if they got rid of Greg and put somebody that is more respected um, in that position, I think it would be much, much better for Liv, and they would have a much better chance to to coexist with the PGA Tour. We need to take a break. You are listening to the Fan Midday Show. Don't go anywhere. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. We're back on The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And midday show, Brian Hammonds, Jimmy Cook, James Adams. What do you say behind the ones and twos, whatever the hell that means? There you go. Well done. All right. Tip of the cap. Yeah, a little radio vernacular there for you. <laughs> Join us if you would like, 317-239-1070. And uh, you just saw something online that was interesting yeah so trey wingos uh, on twitter at wingos former nfl live host and now uh, still involved in the sports world as well had this tweet talk about finding qb talent early all eight starting qbs remaining in the playoffs are manning passing academy counselor alums mahomes and lawrence burrow and allen prescott and purdy Jones and Hertz all at one point in time came through Manning's passing academy. They were counselors or were they? So the way that's phrased confused me. So I looked it up and I did a quick search. At a minimum, likes of Mahomes and Allen are listed as participants at the academy. So I would assume that that's just phrased weird. I think you can look probably really deep in the NFL right now. 
and certainly in college, and most of those quarterbacks would have gone to that camp. That, uh, I mean, how do you turn down an opportunity to go to that camp? I don't know. I wouldn't. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I'm putting my shoes in a uh, 17, 18-year-old that's getting ready to make the leap to college and living out your dreams and you get a call from Peyton and Eli, I'm picking up the phone right away and sign me up. Where do I go? How much pressure is on Arch Manning going to Texas? I mean, that kid. The world. I mean, it, it's a little bit like LeBron. You know, everybody's been watching this kid since he was a freshman in high school and saying, oh, he's he's the next Manning. The one thing I saw that I thought was really cool was that he's not doing he's not taking accepting any NIL deals. You know, the advice to him from his family and his family, you know, he, I don't think he needs the money. Uh, the family says, look, go go to Texas, prove yourself, get the respect of your teammates. And then after that. Okay, you know, look at the NIL deals. But right now, he's not like the kid at Florida that just took his name out of the hat because the $13 million NIL deal, before a four-year $13 million NIL deal fell through. So he says, I'm not going to Florida. He's reopened his recruiting. Arch Manning isn't doing that. Right. And I think, to your point about the pressure on him, I think for Arch Manning, his career, as long as he excels the way people do, yes, there's going to be expectations at Texas, and yes, I'm sure the expectations will be sky high, but the pressure I'm more worried about for him is if he stays the course with that and excels the way people think he's going to excel, regardless if it ends in a national championship or not while he's there, the biggest avenue of pressure, and I know you know this as well, is if he does succeed and whatever organization drafts him, because now you have a holy grail quarterback by name, in terms of he's from this illustrious family of quarterbacks, particularly Peyton and Eli come to mind of Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. That's where the real, real pressure lies. But this is the first hurdle in that step of how does he respond to all of the bright lights of a prestigious program like Texas and, and where does his football career go from here? Will he even start next year, though? Because they've got a kid, speaking of NIL, the kid that left, yeah. I can't remember the name. I, I think he started in their bowl game for sure. Went to Ohio State, didn't play, was getting a million a year there, NIL, didn't play, left, went to Texas, and now, you know, Arch Manning is coming in. You wonder if Arch is even going to play in year one or will he redshirt? That's where the emphasis, like it is for a lot of programs around the country that have tough decisions like that. You'll be watching your spring games, you'll be watching the, their, their mini training camps and their lead ups into the start of the season. You'll have a quarterback competition on your hands, and that'll be something that I know you and I are both tracking as we get closer and closer to <laughs> still a ways away, but until we get closer to next September. Yeah, Arch Manning is already on campus at the University of Texas, and it was all over social media the other day. His first mistake, he lost his um, his student ID card. I've been there. Somebody found it, you know, and of course they put it on social oh, media. Yeah, Look what see, I found. I wasn't there. I was the first <laughs> half of that equation. No one was putting my ID on social media. No, sir. So that was his first mistake. <laughs> Hopefully that's the biggest mistake he makes while he's at the University of Texas. We're going to talk Colts with the great Mike Chappell. He's been covering that team from the beginning. And he'll join us on the Fan Midday Show when we come back. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. And welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Brian Hammonds, Jimmy Cook. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And joining us now on the Mower Shop in Fishers hotline to check out everything 
with the Mower Shop and Fishers. Go to mowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial, residential mowers, plus service and power tours, tools. Mike Chappell joins us. Chap, how are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. Hey, you and I go back to when this team first moved here. Now, you've been through a lot you of discipline. You and I go back to Anderson. Right, right. Way back. Back to the wigwam. Uh, but you've been through a lot of disappointing seasons. Is this the most disappointing season that you've encountered with the Indianapolis Colts, considering what the expectations were and what the results were? Yeah, the fact that you mentioned the expectations, that's what makes it top two or three. And if I had time to really think about it, maybe something would hit me. But no, the fact that – and what people need to realize is this wasn't a locally fueled optimism. This was national. I mean, you know, Vegas. Vegas is the one that had these guys a slight favorite to win the AFC South. It just wasn't us pushing this. So, and there was reason that there really was things they had done, and we thought you know, we bought in that Matt Ryan would be the right guy, and I thought he would be if if everything else worked. You know, the running game, the offensive line, and, and all that, which it didn't. So, yeah, considering what the expectations were and then how not just that it <laughs> that it fell short but it just flamed out i mean holy smokes you fire your coach first time the jim says fired a coach in season and, and, and then you put you go outside the box way outside the box with jeff saturday i didn't agree at the time and you know i never thought it would have mattered anyway who he brought in this thing was so broken but then to have it just disintegrate, you know, Dallas, Minnesota, and not being competitive and all that, yeah, if this isn't the worst, somebody needs to tell me what was, because all things being equal, this was a dumpster fire. Chap, I got a kick out of some of the local media talking about how hard it was to cover this team late in the year, and I would always think about you you know, you you know, you and I both covered those teams back in the mid '80s. That's when it was hard. You know, whenever someone says that, I say, you know, I was here for one in fifteen and ninety-one, and they <laughs> scored like a hundred and forty. They averaged eight point six points a game, eight six, and every game it was well. Dean Biasucci kicked a couple field goals, and all it, it it took to come back and against the Jets, if I remember right, twenty-five, twenty-four, whatever it was. And or they would have been zero sixteen. So yeah, th- th- this is bad. And again, it, it's it's amplified by the expectations. They've had worse teams. They have had worse teams. And you know, you and I, you know, you and I can say yes, we and we saw them. But the 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 hard part is how do you how do you turn this around? And I, it, it's gonna it's gonna take a couple of years. They, they they have to hit on three or four things in the offseason, and it's still going to take a couple of years to get this turned around. Chap, when you look up and down this roster, and I, I know it's it, it's sad from a fan perspective to look at the, the team as, as a carcass right now, but that's kind of how the season unfolded, unfortunately. You talk about multi-years, and I think you, Brian, and I are in agreement on that, that where they want to go is going to be not just a one-off-season project. It's going to be multiple off-seasons. When you look up and down this roster, 
which pieces right now in your mind are, are most movable or, or most attractive should the Colts want to want to maybe fine tune things or or maybe get different aspects of their roster either off the books or try to gain either get younger or, or get more capital in the draft? Well, you've got like I'm going to address it like this week or early next week. They've got like 20 free agents. Right. So you start there. And, and not a lot of guys you say, man, we've, we've got to bring him back. Some good players, but not like, you know, Shaq Leonard and, and people like that to where you've got to resign these guys. Like Bobby O'Karake, Paris Campbell, those type of guys who you'd really like back probably, but we'll see. I think it's without question that, Matt Ryan and Nick Foles are gone. I, I just I see absolutely zero chance. No, not a, very little chance that they're back. You know, Matt Ryan comes back and he counts thirty five million. And if you get rid of him, you know, you save seventeen million, which is, which is a a lot of, a lot of you know personnel capital that, that you can invest elsewhere. But I just I just don't see them dumping players. For cap space, I, I just don't see that. I, I've seen some, you know, the one thing that's great about, the, the one thing that's good and bad about the internet is you get all the wacko uh, uh, ideas on how you trade up to one to get a, the number one pick in Chicago, and it's, or you trade Shaq and, and, and Jonathan Taylor or, or Pittman and picks. And, you know, I don't know. You know, that, that's, you know, maybe, maybe Chicago doesn't want your guys. Now, Eberflus would love to have Kenny Moore and, and DeForest Buckner, but I just don't know how, how viable that is. So, you know, there, there are really good pieces in place. There are. You know, this this defense, without Shaq, played at a winning level, at a, at a playoff level, until it simply wore out and ran out of bodies and, and whatever. And you just have to believe – the, the, the offensive line will play better, and and you got to hope that Bernhard Ryman showed you enough over the last half of the season that he can be the guy. And he had some rough moments, but I think over the last half of the year he played pretty well. But the other guys have got to lift their games again. Braden Smith played well last two thirds of the season. Brian Kelly played better at the end, but and again Quentin Nelson. That just wasn't him. It just wasn't. And you've got to figure out right guard. So, you know, it can be fixed. You got Pittman. You got Alec Pierce is going to be a, a, a solid receiver. And, you know, is Pitt a number one? I don't know. I, I sort of say no. But what they have, their passing game was so bad this year. I don't know how you evaluate their receivers. Jonathan Taylor is still an elite running back. So there are pieces in place. But until you get the quarterback right, none of it matters. Yeah, I agree with you as far as the wide receivers are concerned. They couldn't throw the ball downfield, so how could you properly evaluate that group of of receivers? But is it dangerous for the Colts to stay in the four slot and get the player that they really want? Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Again, what we we don't know, and it's still so early in the process, is is how does Ballard evaluate these three or four quarterbacks? You know, maybe he's got everybody sold on this one guy as number one. Well, maybe he's got somebody else, you know, number one, number two. You just don't know. But the only way to get your guy is to be at one. 
you know, ask, ask the Colts when they had Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf or, or Andrew Luck and NRG3. The only way to get your guy is to be at one. To sit at four, you know, would three quarterbacks go one, two, three? Probably not. Although, keep in mind, somebody below you very well can jump up and, and get one of those spots to get that guy. So you just don't know. And, and if the Colts don't move to one, somebody will. So it, it's you, the only way to guarantee to get your guy is to move up. And then, you know, what's it cost? Well, we've talked in, in the press room. For, for, for the most part, you pay whatever the cost is. Now you don't mortgage the, you don't mortgage the franchise, but 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 there there you have to do pretty much whatever it takes to get the guy. Because like I said, until you get the guy, I, I would argue, and I'm probably wrong. I would argue that getting the quarterback right is more important than getting the coach right. And, and I'm sure I'm wrong, I'm, but but it just feels right because I don't care who your your coach is. We've seen a lot of really good coaches flail away because they haven't got the right quarterback, and we've seen some quarterbacks, you know, overcome a bad roster or suspect coaching. So, so you've got to get that right. And the only way to do it, if there's a guy that you just believe is, it's like it's like one, and then there's a drop off to two and three, then you go up and get it. But if there's two or three guys. I suppose you could trade up to two or three sitting at four. You're just taking a chance. You're not going to get your guy. And and then where are you? Chap to Brian's point. Is there any buzz around which way they're leaning in terms of what direction they'd want to go at four if they wait? No, you mean is, is, is like, like, the Kentucky kid or something. Right, yeah, in terms of available. Is there any lean at this point, or are we well, still very early in that process? It, it, it's so early in the process. Sure. Now, they, they've, been, they've been doing their, their work right. over the season. Right. But, but and what, right now, they've got, you know, Ballard's got to be multitasking because he's carrying on this coaching search as well. But they, they, they don't have, if you put a gun to their head right now, they could make an educated guess. But they are so far away from having to make that decision. And really diving in to the process to where it's okay. Now let's let's really start lining these guys up. So and again, I, I think over the next month or two months, if you hear that, well, we hear the Colts like this guy. I, I guess I'd call BS because I, I think you know very few personnel guys, GMs share their information. I mean, why would you? Right. Why, why would you put in all the legwork and all this and then call your buddy at ESPN or whatever and say, you know, don't spread this around too much, but we like this guy. So, you know, from this point forward, most of what you hear is guesswork or misinformation. But, but again, it's, you know, everything that everybody points to is that there are four quarterbacks and if you like all four, sort of the same, sit still and get the one that's there. But like I said, if there's one or two you really like, go out and take school and get him. Mike Chappell, nice enough to join us via the Motor Shop and Fisher's hotline and the motorshop.com. You can follow Mike Chappell on Twitter at mchappell51. Chappie, in that same vein, Brian brought this up yesterday. I thought it was a great point. 
Of how much will the how much will the combine impact uh, based on just Bauer's previous movement in drafts or his decision making in the draft? How much will the combine in fact the, in, impact this process for the Colts as they presumably take quarterback in the first round? Well, it, it's some, but but again, I think any GM who has the combine as their number one determinant is probably n- not a real good GM. <laughs> sure, it's got his it's got his place. Talk to most guys though, and it's the combine is it, it's it's the physicals that they have issues, and you know cleaning up whatever questions there might be, and then the sit down with guys and face to face and how do they present themselves. I remember that when Peyton came out, he said in his interview he interviewed the Colts. He wanted to know what they were gonna how they were gonna do things. I'm not sure if any of these guys are at that level. But I, I, I think it's a piece of the puzzle. But, you know, the on-campus visits, guys in games, watching practices, going over game tape, that's what's so important. I, I just think that that the combine, and, and we've seen what the NFL's done to the combine. They've turned it into like the second or third largest NFL event on the calendar because that's who they are. But I think it's a piece of the puzzle, but boy, it just can't be one of your top two or three pieces. It just can't be because the other things are too much more important. In terms of the coaching search, do any of the names that have been interviewed or will be interviewed interest you? Oh, Raheem Morris, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I keep going back and forth on whether they need to have a an offensive guy because you know young quarterback and all that and and if it's a defensive guy I really want to know who his staff is offensively because because what the coordinator and the quarterback coach does is going to impact your franchise it just will so I, I not really yet I want to see what the second round of interviews are to really see what their mind is I, I'd like to have known how much discussion internally they had on the possibility of Jim Harbaugh before Harbaugh took his name out. I do believe there was some level of contact. Now, not Chris Ballard calling Harbaugh or Harbaugh calling the Colts. I think there was some feelers put out. I just do. But I, I just the only the only concerns I have when you look at these hot coordinators offense and defense is keep in mind they're not bringing their their stud players with them (laughs) you know i I go back to when i'll date myself when they brought in ted marchabrota from buffalo maybe he was was a coordinator of that cajun attack and we asked ted so you guys gonna run the cajun here he says well unless i can bring kelly and thurman thomas and andre reed and all these guys no so just be careful of why that guy is the great coordinator because he's got great players. He's got a great quarterback. He's got great all pro players. You got to make sure the guy is solid in his own right. And not simply because he's got great players. So, and that's why you've got to get this right. I still say that I'm more concerned a little bit on the quarterback but boy, you got to have the right coach. We've seen a lot of places where the right or the wrong coach hasn't worked, and that sets you back. The quarterback sets you back longer 
because of what you invested in it. So I, I'm I'm kind of curious who they when they go through this talk to seven, eight, nine, ten guys, and then who is the second round you bring back? Which that probably gets the owner involved is after Ballard has his first round with these guys. I said this yesterday, chap, and I may be wrong, but I, I get the feeling that this is all just window dressing. And at the end of the day, they're going to say, after an exhaustive search, Jeff Saturday's our best choice. Boy, I, <laughs> I know. I, 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 I just can't go there. And I tell you, I've talked to a few people out there. And at one point, there was a thought, well, let's just do what we have to do. Let's get the Rooney rule satisfied and and then you know I, I really like Jeff Saturday but I just don't know how you sell first I'm not sure how you, you'd sell Ballard on that I, he made it very clear that he wasn't in, on board with, with Saturday as an interim guy you're not going to sell that to the fan base now if that if, if, if that doesn't matter then then it doesn't matter but you're going to have all these 12, 10, 12 guys who have resumes and have had success to some some pretty good success. And then to say, yeah, we're going to go with Jeff. I just – this comes off as a knock on Jeff, and, and, and I don't mean it to be. It's just that he's not done this before. What was it, three years at the high school level? Because that that's not what he was doing. He was doing – he was being a family guy. He was doing his TV stuff. I just don't know how you line these, let's say, five guys and and consider what each one of them has done, and then you point to the guy that will have the, the meekest resume. I just don't know how they do that. Maybe they do because you know, Jimmy will do what he wants to do. I'm not sure how you do that. Chap, I want to slightly rephrase that question because I'm in the same boat as you that I, I don't know how you can do it, but to clarify or re-ask it a different way, would it surprise you slash is it plausible that at the end of the day Jim Irsay could reach that decision? Well, it's plausible. It's his team. <laughs> right, right. But but I mean like yeah, it, yeah. you've been around it better than anybody and longer than anybody. Would it surprise you if that's ultimately the decision he made at the end of the day? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it would. It would just just because of he he he's got Ballard in place. He's keeping Ballard. Ballard's running the coach the coaching search. I I would love to sit in that meeting between Chris Ballard and Jeff Saturday. I'd love it. I think it'd be cool. <laughs> but I just like I said, I just don't know how. At the end of the day, when Jimmy and Chris Ballard sit down and and they go back and forth and this that and the other, I. I just don't think they'll go that way. But again, they could. I don't know what the odds are. Twenty eighty against. I just, I just don't see it. But it's his team, and he'll do what he darn well pleases. He's plus one thousand. The last time I checked the sports books for how they, really? they were mocking that. That's about eighth or ninth best. But that, that's about five days old. Uh, chap Art Stapleton uh, tweeted earlier today, uh, Giants beat writer for uh, the record sports. Uh, he was at Wink Martindale's press conference and Wink said that 
He didn't view the job with the Giants as a stepping stone. It was a destination. And he said he'll find time to interview for head coaching jobs like the Colts position, quote, if it's not too late after this weekend. Presumably, if Wink is, which they put a request in, if that is a name near the top of the list for the Colts, uh, they're in no rush. They're willing to let this process play out in the playoffs, right? Yeah, I mean, the, remember the last time that they, they hired a coach, it was mid-February because of playoffs and all that. And then when it didn't work, you had to go back and reload with Frank. So, yeah, they're, they're in no hurry, and they don't need to be. If they're in a hurry, maybe they would have made a push for Harbaugh because they wanted that out of the way. But there's no real reason to, to, to hurry with this and and kind of check that box off and move to something else. You can multitask. These guys get paid a lot of money to multitask. And Ballard told us uh, – at its season ender, that this thing may go into mid-February, because again, you just—it just makes no sense to try to hurry. And I guess if you wanted to get it done and you know go by some of the thinking that's out there, you've already satisfied the Rooney Rule. Then go ahead and name Jeffrey head coach because you've done everything you need to do. Uh, but but I think this will go into February just because they'll want to talk to people more extensive who are in the playoffs, and that takes time. So we've been talking about this earlier. You know, everybody nationally is talking about Lamar Jackson being traded. Would you trade for him if you're the Colts? Wow. First, Baltimore would be crazy to trade him. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's so hard to get the guy, and then he's 26, and you're going to trade him? I mean, and it would take probably two first-round picks. I don't know, two plus more. I don't know. Would I? I, I, I guess yes, because he, he's that guy. But then you've got to pay $250 million guaranteed, because that's kind of what he wants now, I guess. He wants more. Would they offer him 133 guaranteed? He said, no thanks. I guess. The only, the only issue with getting him, I guess, although they're almost built for it, you're you're changing how you run your team. You're going to be run first because that's what he is. You're not going to be that dynamic in the past game. Well, these guys aren't. So I guess there wouldn't be all that much in it to change. That'd be a bold move. I mean, it would be beyond bold. I can't believe that Baltimore would trade away a, a, a franchise quarterback who's 26. And then because, again, it's crazy. It's you can always get rid of players because you don't like them for whatever reason. Then you got to replace them. Well, some, sometimes we're talking about a guard or a wide receiver or whatever. This is a franchise quarterback, and how far that sets you back to, 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 to get rid of him is amazing. But it sure seems like that relationship is frayed beyond frayed. And what happens if they franchise him and say, well, we're going to kick the can down the road and worry about this next offseason? And then Jackson said, well, you know, I'm not playing for the franchise tag. Then where are you? So if I'm the Colts, do I make that trade? Probably. But I can't from – it's just hard to believe Baltimore would walk away from that kind of a quarterback. All right, we're up against a break, chap, but I want to know this before we go. Uh, the best game you ever saw in the wigwam? Ooh, uh, uh, Stu Robinson beaten, was it Highland? 
Oh, I remember that game. I'm a Highland grad. Or, or, or Steve Alford missing two free throws for Anderson to beat Newcastle. That's pretty cool. Any one of the Highland-Anderson games that went like 109 to 105 in overtime, I'm telling you, I was there from 74 to 84, and it was a golden era of basketball to Anderson. Unbelievable. It's sad to drive by the wigwam now and and see what it is now and uh, what it used to be. But, uh, Chap, those are good memories, and thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, congratulations on your longevity. In this business, it's unheard of. And you've been with this team, uh, covering this team since they moved to Indianapolis. And congrats on that. I appreciate it. And, you know, staying power, there's a, there's a value to just still being around. Absolutely. The Dean. Mike Chappell with us here on the Van Midday Show. When we come back, we're going to talk UND basketball. Stay with us. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. It is the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and Brian Hammonds. James Adams doing a wonderful job guiding us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Through the afternoon, joining us now via the Mower Shop in Fisher's hotline and the mowershop.com, the pride of the South Side himself, the head coach of the U Indy Greyhounds. It is one Paul Casaro, coach. Thanks for making time for us. 18th in the polls are the Hounds. Back-to-back weeks for the first time since March 2020, just before you got there. Coach, what's it mean to have this group right back in the polls and getting the national recognition you guys have have worked hard for and continue to work hard for each and every day? It means a lot. Um, You know, being a former player and a former assistant here, I have a lot of pride in the program. And um, it's good to have us back to where we feel like the program should be, but can't be content. You know, we have to, um, you know, keep uh, uh, stay humble, keep grinding, and and that's what you got to do to stay uh, stay stay in places like this. And our guys are doing a great job of coming to work every day, and um, it's a fun group to be around. They deserve all the credit. It's got to be cool to have success at your alma mater. Did you see this season coming? Did you uh, before the season started? Did you think that okay, we could we could be really good this year? Yeah, I thought so because of you know what we returned. And, you know, the goal is to, you know, get better every year. And, you know, my first year we were right around 500. And, you know, that was to be expected. We turned, um, you returned only four players from a team before and a whole new staff and, uh, you know, finished on a high, high note. And then last year we go 19 and 11 and make it to the conference championship game. So we got, you know, exponentially better from year one to year two. And, you know, we returned a lot of guys. You know, we returned probably eight guys that, you know, played really meaningful minutes on last year's team. And, uh, brought in a couple of good newcomers too, so we felt like that. Hey, we might be able to take the same jump from year two to year three that we did in uh, you did from year one to year two. Head coach of UND men's basketball, Paul Casaro, nice enough to take some time with us on the Mower Shop and Fishers Hotline and the MowerShop.com for all your residential commercial mowers. Well, as snowblowers, power tools, equipment, services, so much more, they have you covered at the Mower Shop and Fishers and the MowerShop.com. Coach, this nine-game winning streak you're riding right now, it wasn't like that the, the Hounds had, had fallen off prior to that, six wins to three losses prior to this stretch. What's been the biggest thing out of your group over this nine-game winning streak? 
Well, Jimmy, I'm going to give you a hard time. We were six and two. The one was an exhibition against Western Kentucky. So then it counts. I'm going to take every take take every win. No, no, get, take every win you can and, and shove me uh, shove me in a, in a locker somewhere. That's my fault, Coach. I apologize. <laughs> it's all good, it's all good, man. So we we were six and two. You know, which you know is a uh, a solid you know a solid record. Nothing to be ashamed of um, at that time. But we have reeled off uh, uh, nine cents, and we're fifteen and two now. But um, you know. I think the main thing is, you know, we have a we have a talented group of guys. We're deep, and you know, even though we were six and two, you know, we kind of felt like, okay, that's good, but you know, I think this group is you know capable of more. And we had a, we had a team meeting, and you know, we talked about sacrifice, and you know, we're playing eleven guys, and kind of went around the room and we talked about roles and what it's going to take from each person for our team to be at the team's best, and that you know, we're going to have to check some egos at the door, and you know, we're going to have to sacrifice individual um you know recognition for the greater good and uh, our guys all said hey we just want to win and that's really cool when you have a selfless group and it was good because hey you know not only did each individual understand what the team needed from them but their teammates and their peers heard it as well and that way you know i think since then everyone's been on the same page and the main thing is we just got to keep keep getting better every single day and hopefully we can keep this thing going as you have come through the ranks, who has been your biggest coaching influence? You know, um, you're always a product of who you work for. And I've worked for two guys, uh, Stan Gerard um, here at University of Indianapolis. And, you know, he's probably the biggest because I not only had a coach for him, I played for him too. And then, um, you know, John Kaufman at Purdue-Fort Wayne uh, spent two years with him at the Division One level. And that was really good for me too because, you know, for eight years – under Coach Gerard, you know, who not only, uh, you know, a coach of mine, a boss of mine, he's been a, a great mentor and almost like a family member, member to me. Um, you know, that's all I really knew at the college level. So to go to somewhere else and just kind of see a different way of doing things, you know, that was really good too because it kind of opens your eyes to, you know, other perspectives, other philosophies. And, you know, kind of between the two of those guys and then just kind of, some things that, you know, I picked up along the way, kind of built my own philosophy. So I, I think what you see is, you know, a little Stan, a little a little Coach Kaufman, and um, just kind of some things that I, I've always wanted to do myself. You're, uh, you're listening to Paul Crosaro, the head coach at UIndy. And, Coach, I've been saying that mid-major coaches right now have no chance for any sustained success because if a player has a good year, he's gone. He's in the portal, going to try to go to a bigger and better conference. Is that trickling down to the Division II level? Are you seeing the portal now come into play? If a player has a good year at the Division II level, he's now looking to go to D1? No, I, I honestly, it hasn't with us. And I, and I disagree from that assessment even at the mid-major level. I think uh, this business is all about relationships. And if you build good relationships with your student-athletes, they're going to want to play for you. If they have success, they're going to realize, hey, I'm having success because you know this relationship, this player-coach relationship works. And I want to keep this success. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't see that. You know, when we were at Fort Wayne with uh, John Conchar, who's now with the Memphis Grizzlies, he could have gone anywhere in the country a senior year. And he stayed at Purdue Fort Wayne and was the best mid-major player in the country. And because of that, he was a big fish in a small pond. And he's better off for it and actually got picked up. And he probably wouldn't be where he was today if he would have went to, let's say, Kentucky or Georgia and averaged nine or ten points because he was figuring out a new system. You know, I think that was good for him. But for us – we haven't lost anybody to the portal that, you know, you know, we didn't 
expect to or, you know, for the reasons that you brought up. You know, our best players every year has returned, and I think it's because of the way we treat our guys. We take care of them. They know we love them. You know, we hold them accountable. We coach them hard. But, um, you know, we have great relationships with our guys, and I think that's what it's all about. If you can form relationships with your guys and there's trust and you take care of them and they they know that you generally care about them more than you do about winning, they're going to want to stay and they're going to want to play for you. Coach, you obviously have your team goals and your group collective focused on those objectives as the season goes on, but it's always nice to to celebrate and take a moment to honor individuals when they succeed on the court. Jesse Bingham becoming the fourth, 44th Greyhound in program history to reach 1,000 career points on Monday night. Uh, as you're a local product yourself, so is Jesse. Uh, what did that mean from that connection standpoint and just to, to see him reach that mark of 1,000 career points in a Hounds uniform? You know, Jesse, uh, everything Jesse um, gets, he, he deserves and he earns it because he works so hard. And I'm very happy for Jesse because he's obviously a great player, but he's an even better uh, person, a great young man. Uh, I love him. He's been on board uh, from the moment that I got the job here. You know, I, I recruited Jesse out of high school um, when I was an assistant here. So I kind of initiated this recruitment at TUND. Then I left to go to Fort Wayne, and by the time I came back, he had stayed with his recruitment at UND and was on the roster. And, you know, when I got the job and I kind of called him and, you know, um, said, hey, I'm going to be your head coach, there was no hesitation. You know, he never uh, batted an eye. He was all in. He wanted to stay here. and He's given me everything. And I owe Jesse a lot. And, uh, you know, I just can't, can't – I could go on and on and talk about it. Now, the cool thing about Jesse is he's done this in two and a half years. Right. Um, you know, he still has, you know, two and a half years because he's got that COVID year. So uh, I told him the other day, I was like, hey, man, that's awesome. Let's go get another thousand. You know, let's become the school's all-time leading scorer. Let's be the GOAT. And uh, hopefully he can do that, and I think he can. Coach, last question on my end. You welcome in McKendry this weekend for Pack the House. I've seen you you and the UND social media team kind of pumping that up. Talk a little bit about that Pack the House tradition and how fans can get involved this Saturday. Yeah, Pack the House night is, you know, we – Obviously, we want to pack our gym any any, any chance we can. But uh, essentially, uh, pack the house is kind of our equivalent of like a winter homecoming where we try to get a lot of alumni back, try to really pump it out. And, um, you know, our goal is to sell at Nickerson Hall. We want 3,000 people here on Saturday. And you want to see good basketball, that kids that play hard, play the right way. Um, you know, uh, a cheap ticket. It's only, you know, $10 for adults, $5 for kids. Um, good Good role models for your kids to look up to. Um, I think this is the place. And, you know, we tip off at 3 o'clock. It's going to be a, a rocking atmosphere, a good GLBC matchup. We're playing good basketball, and I encourage fans to come out. Coach, appreciate you making time for us. I've enjoyed watching the success, and best of luck to you now with the calendar year turning to 2023. Rooting for the Greyhounds to achieve all those goals you have set, Coach. Hey, guys, I really appreciate you having me on. You guys have a great week. Thank you. you. Too. That is Paul Casaro, head coach over at UIndy. Always good to – Continue to keep the pulse on a local flair and the the Greyhounds uh, again seven and two on the season. Paul's very happy. I'm not a part of the committee. I'm, I'm sure as they continue to to rise to the ranks uh, all over there with the Greyhounds. But all jokes aside, nine game winning streak and he's he's built this thing. Continued to add the Greyhounds to the national conversation. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Of course, especially so for myself. Paul went to Ron Colley where I attended, and it's always good to see a local product, the, the pride of the South Side, as they're calling him, uh, continue to shine through. And you know, he's right. It is fun uh, to go watch a Division Two or yeah. an NAIA game or a Division Three game because those kids, they they practice just as hard and play just as hard as those Division One players. And it's a lot of fun to go watch those games. 
We're going to take a quick break here on the Fan Midday Show. When we come back, we'll take a further look at the Colts coaching search, share any developments on that front, and also get you set for Pacers and Thunder. The Surf's trying to get back in the win column, still still shorthanded without Tyrese Halliburton. That and more on the other side here on the Fan. 93.5 and 107.5, the Fan. We're back on the Fan Midday Show from the DriveHubler.com studio. I'm Brian Hammonds, along with Jimmy Cook and James Adams running the show. You know, we've been talking an awful lot. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. A lot about the Colts um, coaching search and a lot of the candidates that have been interviewed or have... The Colts have requested to be interviewed, but we haven't really talked much about Dan Quinn. It was just uh, the request was just made yesterday to interview Dan Quinn, the Cowboys defensive coordinator. Of course, they're still in the playoffs. So after that ends, uh, they will hopefully interview Dan Quinn. If you're looking for a guy, he's intriguing to me because, you know, he was obviously a head coach with the with the Atlanta Falcons, went to the Super Bowl with that team. That didn't turn out well. 28-3 to lead, and they end up losing to uh, Tom Brady in New England. But he, he intrigues me. If you're looking for a guy that has had success and experience as a head coach, he might be your guy. There's probably a level of ignorance behind my response to this, but I've, I've pigeonholed Dan Quinn after the, the way things, after that Super Bowl collapse, the way the Falcons kind of collapsed around him after the last couple of years following that. And granted, there were some injuries involved there, too, that definitely deserve some recognition. But I've pigeonholed Quinn since then as a guy that is a great, great coordinator, not somebody that I want at the helm of the team. But that being said, to your point, he's the only one of two candidates on there of the Colts interview list right now that has had true head coaching experience that's still in the running. And he did help guide the Falcons to the Super Bowl, uh, to the to play in the Super Bowl, right? So I mean, there there there's some merit there, and that's why his name pops up for me. But if you were making me cross out names on this list, that would be the reason why I would do Dan Quinn because now I've, I've pigeonholed him as he's a good defensive coordinator. I, I don't know that I want him guiding my franchise with whatever future quarterback we bring in. And you wonder if him being a defensive coordinator play is something against him in in this search which you know most people feel that the Colts need an offensive minded coach right and it can't be you can't disregard just like we talk about with Gus Bradley albeit the Cowboys are one win away from a conference championship game appearance and the Colts are at home but just like we've praised Gus Bradley for how sharp the defense was at times this year Cowboys defense has been phenomenal underneath Dan Quinn, so I'm, I'm not going to knock that. He, he's been stellar, and if it was an opening for a coordinator position and he was available, I'd jump right into the Rapids with you. I just There's other names that are slightly more appealing to me, and if I have to, at the end of the day, have a lot of good candidates and make cuts, that would be why I would cut Quinn. All right, who's more appealing to you then? What I said earlier today would be a young offensive mind, and I've shown my bias here, but I really like Andy Reid. So I want somebody from his tree and the two candidates that are from that tree right now are Eric Bieniemy and Mike Kafka. Now, again, Bieniemy for whatever reason, and, and we could talk for hours on end why this has happened, but Eric Bieniemy is on his, I think, 16th interview that he completed with the Colts because they interviewed him either last week or two weeks ago for this position, and he's on his 16th interview over the last four or five cycles. Now, I can't fully wrap my minds around it because everybody want to point to him and say, well, he's not the official play caller, and he reads the play caller. Well, 
Andy Reid has been the play caller for the last seven or eight offensive coordinators that have been through his system, and they've all got head coaching jobs. So that, to me, isn't a fair knock if you're going to penalize a guy like Biennemi for working with Patrick Mahomes every week. The other side of the coin is Mike Kafka. They, with Brian Dable, have been able to navigate Daniel Jones into a, a, again, I'm not putting him in the same breath as the Burroughs and the Allens and the Mahomes of the world, but he's a mid-level, high-level starting quarterback that has guided the Giants now along with that defense to the point that their one went away from the NFC Championship game. So anybody that's of that same lineage that I believe is an innovator on the offensive side of the ball, I'd put Kafka on that same vein and I'd put Biennemi on that same vein because they come from Andy Reid's coaching tree. I'll be honest, one guy I'm rooting for in getting a head coaching job is Frank Reich. I like, I think... I really like Frank, Really too. like Frank Reich. Good guy. And he's uh, interviewed with Carolina. And uh, yesterday, uh, I don't know if he has interviewed or it's been requested that... Uh, they will interview him with Arizona. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets a head coaching job. I think that of those two landing spots, I'm Frank, the most attractive, but it could be the most challenging because you have rumored personality issues, both with Kyler Murray, but also DeAndre Hopkins. He's made it seem like the potential he wants out of there. That's what the rumor mill has kind of churned out the last couple of weeks anyway. Uh, they did interview him yesterday, by the way. It was an official interview per Dan Graziano of ESPN. Uh, but that's the most attractive job of the two because I still think, I still think Kyler Murray can be a successful quarterback in this league. Do I think he can be as successful as what they paid for? No, but I still think he can be a quality starter in this league to a point that it'd be fascinating to see Frank Reich, if he does get another opportunity, be with a quarterback that is full level of competence he's living in north carolina though now so, so. you know the quality of life it sure. may be hey sure. let's stay here in north carolina and i'll sure. become the carolina panther hey, if, you, if you have your pick of the litter then i mean at that point i'm very happy for frank that he's going to have a choice in the matter but at the end of the day you also you can always move to the one point and to the other point i think you would want a place where you're not set up to succeed like guaranteed because you can't guarantee that in the nfl you want a good framework there, and I mean, I guess you're debating a rock and a hard place with where the Panthers and the Cardinals are right now as franchises, but Murray's a little bit more appealing than whatever's going to happen in Carolina right now. If you want to join the conversation, call us at 317-239-1070, and if you, if you, want, you wonder if Frank would be amenable to becoming an offensive coordinator again, because there's a really good job open with the Chargers. That's and I mean I haven't even I've even placed him with that. That's a that's, that's a, a fascinating really, proposition. That's for him. a really good job opening right there. The decision making of the Chargers in the last forty eight to seventy two hours following their collapse to the Jaguars appeared to be that Brandon Staley was going to get another shot, but they viewed where Herbert is right now, starting to enter his prime of his career, and he's in that same breath or close to it of the top quarterbacks in the league. You cannot waste him. And they had to get rid of Lombardi and move on. Frank Reich has never been knocked on in terms of that role as a coordinator. He's kind of that same thing as Dan Quinn right now, right? Quinn is pigeonholed as a defensive coordinator. Frank Reich right now, he's still getting interviews. So clearly teams don't pigeonhole him yet. But that was an area where he excelled. And he could help Staley. Oh, he could help him. Trem- and the issue is... There is times where they're using Justin Herbert as a as a Kirk Cousins as like a, a short 
check down, medium route type of guy. The dude is one of the best arms in football. Like the idea of Frank Reich being able to open things up offensively with a team that, again, hopefully they manage their bye week or their week 18 a little better because not having Mike Williams out there severely hampered the Chargers as well. But they need an offensive mind that's not afraid to air it out. And maybe you say, oh, well, he never did that in Indianapolis. Well, he did it when he had a quarterback with arm strength to do it. And that was only a handful of times while he was here. So I. I'm, I would welcome that if I'm a Chargers fan in terms of best position for Frank. If you don't want to go into an uncertain situation in Carolina and in Arizona, Las, Ve- or Los Angeles is arguably the better spot because, yes, they play in the West with Mahomes, but they were right there. They were a playoff team. You're not building from the ground up. You're working alongside an organization that has real championship expectations on their radar. Are you surprised that he hasn't been interviewed by more teams? No, I feel like that's kind of the nature of the the beast to some extent. The it's a very cyclical process of how coaching hires work in the league and the rise and fall of a coach. The way things ended here, I, I'm not as surprised. Next year it could be a whole different Correct. story. Correct, and, and particularly out a year. Yeah, whether he sits out or whether he goes beat OC somewhere. But I will say, very encouraging in my mind, if you're Frank Reich, that you're still getting interviews in this cycle to some extent. And that's happened with Carolina and with Arizona. 317-239-1070 is our number. We need to take a break. Chris Denary will join us when we come back on the other side to talk about tonight's game in Oklahoma City. Pacers trying to snap what is now a four-game losing streak. Hopefully that happens. We'll talk to Chris about it when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. We're back on the Fan Midday Show from the DriveHubler.com studio. I'm Brian Hammonds, along with Jimmy Cook and James Adams. Pacers tonight take on the Oklahoma City Thunder and here to talk about it via the mobile. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Shop on the MowerShop.com. Hotline is the television voice of the Indiana Pacers, Chris Denary. Chris, how are you, bud? Hey, I'm doing great, Brian. Uh, you could tee it up here in Oklahoma City today. It's 62 degrees, so uh, I'm sure the golf courses are getting a workout today here. There are some pretty good golf courses in Oklahoma. Yeah, I've never played. I've never played here in Oklahoma. You know, uh, many years on the road, we'll, we'll play at times, but... I have never played here in Oklahoma. So I know you know this because I know how you prepare, but the Pacers have given up over 130 points the last couple of games. The Thunder hung 150 on the Celtics <laughs> recently, and they're averaging 125 points per game over the last eight. So I'm guessing defense might be a focus tonight? No question. I mean, this is an Oklahoma City team that's the youngest in the NBA, and, and like the Pacers, much improved. They're just a couple of games away from – matching their win total of last year. And you're right, they scored 150 here against Boston, and they're they're coming in with three straight wins and, and very impressive. I mean, they won in Philadelphia, uh, they won in Chicago, and they won in Brooklyn on Sunday, and all those wins on the road were double figures. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Pacers just played two of the better offensive teams in the league in Memphis and Milwaukee, and there's no question that this is a, a very talented young team. Uh, they only averaged 104 points a game last year, and they're averaging 116 now. Uh, they've got the fifth-leading score in the NBA in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. They got him 
uh, in the Paul George trade when uh, PG went from Oklahoma City to uh, to the Clippers. So he's a very talented player. Uh, they've got a really good point guard from Australia and Josh Giddy. So uh, this is a team that you, you, nobody in the league can sleep on. And uh, it, it'll be uh, fascinating to watch tonight because there will be a lot of young players, Brian, on the floor. I made a note here. Oklahoma City has nine players 22 years and younger, and the Pacers have six. So uh, that, that, that's 15 of your 30 players on the roster that are 22 years of age and younger. All right, now there's two Jalen Williams in the starting lineup. How are you going to handle that? <laughs> uh, we, we've talked about that. I mean, this, this is a bizarre – I've not seen this. The only other time I had to deal with this, um, and they didn't have the same name, but when I did UND basketball back in the 80s, there were three brothers that all started for Lewis, and they were the Diego brothers. And you just basically said their first names. So I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to, to react to this because you have Jalen Williams, J-A-L-E-N. He's a rookie out of Santa Clara. And the other one is Jalen, J-A-Y-L-I-N. And uh, he's a rookie out of Arkansas. At least one is 6'10", and the other is 6'6". So you should be able to distinguish between them. <laughs> and that's such a funny conundrum. I'm 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 dealing with that similarly at Ron Colley right now. They got the Kangaroos brothers, Luke and Drew. But again, to your point, Chris, at least there's a distinction there. You can go your U Indy route of, of first names, but I mean, you can't you can't say jam with a Y or jam with an E on the right no. side. <laughs> no, I think you just have to say one of the will. You just say Williams and then try to clarify it at, at some point. You mentioned and Brian let off that obviously defense being an important aspect, but. In Andrew Nemhard, the star rookie guard, has continued to shine, particularly on that front, and is likely to match up with Shea Gildress Alexander a number of times tonight. Uh, what will that test be like for the rookie? Well, he, you know, he's somebody that you, you just look at every every team. You know, Trey Young, uh, John Morant. I mean, he was guarding LeBron James out in L.A. Um, this is a young man that um, you know is a very talented player. He he's hit a little bit of a wall here offensively. Uh, he's not shot the ball very well the last three games, but you're, you're talking about getting a lot of experience for a guy like Nemhard and then also Benedict Matherin. I mean, these are two guys that are usually on the floor in clutch situations down the stretch. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure Nemhard, he looks at this as a huge challenge each and every night, and uh, he'll be tasked with uh, trying to slow down uh, Gilgis Alexander. Okay, let's get back to the names real quick. Now, I've had to deal with, when I, when I would do an LPGA event especially, I mean, there were some names that were really off the charts, hard to hard to deal with. What's the most difficult name that you have to deal with in the NBA? Uh, there's one that I constantly, Brian, have to look down at my sheet, and I was very happy that he did not get on the floor on Monday in Milwaukee. And Butler fans may remember him because he played at Seton Hall but his name is Sandro Mamu Kelashvili. Oh, my God. Ooh, there, there are a lot of syllables there. Mamu Kelashvili. I'm sure if I did his games on a regular basis, it would just roll off my tongue. Uh, it's similar to think back to the 2000s when the Pacers got Sharunas Yesikavichis. And I remember I was the sports director, Brian, at Channel 59 when that trade was made. And you know, trying to say that name over and over. And then I got the Pacers job and actually called his games. It was much easier when you, know, you said it night after night. But, yeah, Sandro Mamu Kalashvili is, 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 to me, 
I think, one of the harder names in the league. That, that dude needs a nickname in the worst way. <laughs> now, this I would think, Chris, that you know when this season started, the expectations weren't very high. I would think this has to have been, so far, one of the more enjoyable seasons for you personally. Um, there's no question. I mean, when you, especially when you, uh, like we are, we're back out on the road. I had not traveled for two and a half years, so I'm back out on the road with the coaches and the players, and you get to know them more than I did the last couple of years when you just didn't have the opportunity to build those relationships. And, and you see uh, just the camaraderie and to, the togetherness that this group has. A lot of people want to say that culture and chemistry doesn't matter. And, and, you know, I think any of us that have been around this know that that's not true. You still have to have great talent. Don't get me wrong. You, you've got to have really good talent to win. But it really helps, especially when you're young, that you have a group of players that, that get along and they, and they root for each other. And I think fans can sense that when they watch on television, but especially when they come to Gamebridge Fieldhouse, how much fun this group has together. And so, yeah, it's been really, really refreshing. And I, I think, you know, the, the front office has done a really good job putting this roster together. And you've got a, a really good young core Uh, that I think is going to be together for some time, and that's exciting to see. Chris, and I had forgotten about this, you've probably gotten this question a ton, but being back on the road and and having that long absence uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic and and the decision-making of of getting broadcasters back out there, where is your favorite non-Gambridge Fieldhouse Division arena uh, as you travel around the country uh, with the team throughout the season? Well, it probably depends now where they put us. Uh, we're probably about half-half as far as being up and down as far as, uh, you know, down on the scores bench or like we are at Gamebridge Fieldhouse at the table just between the bench and uh, the scores bench. So, for instance, uh, Monday for the first time in Milwaukee, we were up. Uh, Utah, I felt like I was on the moon broadcasting the game. Uh, here in Oklahoma City, we'll be right down on the on the scores bench. So, um, part of it depends on you know where where you are. I, I will say, and it's you know it's one of the older buildings in the league, but I was there last week going to Madison Square Garden. There's just something special about that. I mean, they always have a great crowd, no matter how good or bad they are. It's you know it's the world's most famous arena now. I believe that Gamebridge Fieldhouse is the best basketball arena in the country, in the world. And, and what uh, Pacer Sports and Entertainment and the Capital Improvement Board have done over the last three years to make those improvements, it's fantastic. But, um, you know, there are a lot of great environments. This used to be, uh, you know, when they had Durant and Harden and Westbrook. Yeah. And this, this, this place was crazy. Uh, Portland still has a great fan base. Uh, but but going around the league, uh, it, there are a lot of great places, uh, you know, to do games. I'm very thankful I get to do it. But but now sometimes um, it, it's all based on where are we located and what is our view because that makes it a whole lot easier to call the game. Hey, they can sell those seats down low for an awful lot of money. That's why they stick you up in the nosebleeds at some of these arenas. Now, I'm hearing, Chris, from people inside the organization, and yeah, I do still have some contacts, um, good things about Buddy Heald. I mean, it was a foregone conclusion when he came here that he wasn't going to last long here, but I'm hearing really good things about him, not just the way he's playing, but what he means in the locker room. What are you seeing there? Yeah, no question. I mean, this guy, the thing that I've said about both he and Tyrese is they brought 
a, a level of joy with the way that they play and the way that they're around their teammates, whether it's on the bus or in the locker room. And, and I just think that happiness is contagious and it carries over. And so, you know, having not watched a lot of Buddy before he got here, you know, I just thought he was a, a three-point shooter. And, and clearly he's a very good three-point shooter. I just made a note in the last 23 games, and so that's half of what the Pacers have played. He's shooting nearly 50% from three-point range, but it's his rebounding, his passing. He had a block shot critical uh, in a in a game just uh, recently. Um, you know, he does a lot of things on the floor that I don't think people thought he could do. And uh, you know, this will be interesting for him tonight because just about a half hour south is where he played his college basketball at uh, Oklahoma. So it's a little bit of uh, you know a coming home for him uh, tonight with the game against the Thunder. Chris, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Chris Tadary, nice enough to join us, the TV voice of the Pacers on Bally Sports via the Miller Shop and Fishers Hotline and themillershop.com. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, and it was shown in Milwaukee at times, the Pacers over this four-game skid. It's been a handful of runs that have kind of death by a thousand paper cuts the Pacers the last couple of nights. And at times without Tyrese Halliburton, it's felt like the offense has maybe missed a counterpuncher out there to respond to those runs. When you look at Oklahoma City tonight, they're obviously a fast-paced team uh, in general, and they have gifted guards as well. Where do the Pacers need to either adjust or fine-tune things offensively to respond when those runs arrive? Yeah, T.J. McConnell said that after the game, and and he had just a career game on Monday, 29 points. He had 25 in the first half, but he said, hey, no disrespect to myself or Andrew Nemhard. Uh, we miss Tyrese Halliburton. And, and if you look at it, you know, the Pacers uh, have won 16 games that are considered clutch this year, and that's tied for first in the mm-hmm. NBA. Um, and but, but they've lost three straight at New York, the Atlanta game, and then Milwaukee on Monday. And the fourth quarter this year is really where Tyrese Halliburton has shined. And, and so you've got to try to overcome that with, uh, you know, with whoever's out there handling the ball, and that's Nemhard or McConnell. So um, that'll be something to watch, um, you know, just how the Pacers handle those late-game situations because, really, they've been good this year. I mean, they had a stretch where they went 7-1 and one, um, in late-game situations, but now without Tyrese Halliburton, you're just taking one more player who can get you a basket late or make a right decision. Um, they just don't have that right now. So collectively, they're going to have to find a way to overcome that. You know, you look at this stretch of games for the remainder of this month, that's an important stretch. It could really decide whether or not this team is a playoff team or not. Yeah, I mean, you, you go back to the Memphis game on Saturday. They're second in the West. Uh, Milwaukee's battling for, you know, first in the East. Uh, Denver on Friday night is the the number one team of the West, and they've got the two-time defending uh, MVP and Jokic. Uh, next week you've got Chicago. You've got you've got a Friday Sunday where you play Milwaukee and Memphis, and then you start February. Brian, you've got the Lakers, Sacramento, and Cleveland at home, and then you go on the road at Miami. I I, I always say this, um, you know, when I when when Brad Stevens made the move from Butler uh, to the the Celtics, you know, back during the 13, 14 season. And, you know, they only won like 25 or 26 games before he, he got them turned around. We're in his office at, at TD garden. And he was just joking. And he said, and again, I don't want to be disrespectful to another college, 
but he said something to the point. He goes, hey, I asked Danny Ainge if we could get Elon on the schedule, and it just wasn't possible. Um, (laughs) There are 30 teams in the NBA. They all have former college All-Americans. And as I've said, you look at Oklahoma City, they're two games under 500, and they've got really good talent. So uh, it's a tough stretch, and uh, you just have to do your best to get through it. I think, you know, what the Pacers did back before Christmas, they went on the road and won back-to-back games at Miami and Boston, and I really thought that gave them a lot of confidence. They just need to, you know, get a win here uh, to, to regain that confidence going in, you know, as we're in the second half of the season. Chris, a lot of us were surprised, at least I was, at how fast this turnaround came for the Pacers this year, and like you mentioned, it, it as Brian asked you earlier, it's some of the most fun you've had in a little bit calling the Pacers, and fans are feeling the same way. Gamebridge is packed, and it's it's fun to follow the Pacers. Where last year it had you know its ups and downs at times. For you and, and Quinn, as you kind of navigate through this schedule as well, to Brian's point, what do you need to see out of this group until Halliburton returns? Maybe not like a necessarily win loss mark, but where do you want to see? continued improvements to know that okay even when Tyrese is back this team's still going to be in the driver's seat of getting a postseason spot or even a play-in spot this year yeah I think I think individual players just have to play a little bit better um, I mean you, you you've got to avoid uh, slumps especially on the offensive end I mean somebody like Aaron Neesmith he had a an 11 game stretch where he had 10 and double figures he's averaging 14 points and now he's come back after an illness, and he's really struggled shooting the ball. Uh, Chris Duarte coming back from the injury, uh, you know, he went 14 or 15 games just in a real struggle, and he's had two pretty good games, um, you know, coming in the last two against Memphis and Milwaukee. So individually, uh, a number of these players just, you know, if, if you can raise your individual game, it really helps you know, your overall team. And, and and that's why I think from a defensive end, too, you'll hear coaches, you know, trying to be tied together defensively. But it all starts to make sure you're guarding your man. They always say guard your yard. And if you can take care of your yard, then that helps, you know, with the other yards that are out there uh, in the half-court defense. So I think it's each individual player just has to do a little bit better. And I think collectively that will help the team. One follow-up in that regard, and we had a caller reference this earlier in the show, and then the Pacers have since tweeted it out. Uh, Benedict Matherin continues to shine as a rookie, but uh, at least in terms of a minimum of 30 games, he's now the most points-per-game leader by a player off the bench ever with 17 and a half a game. Obviously, that's a nice stat, but, but Chris, he's, he's impressed a lot of us. I'm sure he's impressed you as well. Uh, where has this rookie season Maybe not ranked, but but where has it shown the most for you at what a promising, budding young star he is, along with this whole rookie class? Yeah, I think his ability to get to the free throw line. I mean, you just don't see young players uh, get to the line. He's 22nd in the NBA. He's averaging more than six free throw attempts per game. And I think over the last 10, he's like eight or nine free throw attempts. And, you know, and, and Quinn will tell you, any really good scorer – the, the reason you have a high scoring average is because you get to the free throw line. So I think that's been huge for him. He has a competitive fire that is second to none. Uh, just being around him, uh, you're always happy when you see him smile because he is very serious about his craft. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is this Benedict Matherin wants to be the best player that he can be. He wants to be the best player in the NBA. And, and this guy puts in a tremendous amount of work 
I think we all thought he would have a good rookie year, but I don't think any of us thought that he'd be uh, the leading bench scorer in the NBA or averaging 17 points per game. I mean, he's had an outstanding uh, first half of the season, and uh, it's exciting to see what his career could be for this franchise. What's your gut feeling as we approach the trade deadline? Are the Pacers going to do anything? You know, it's hard to know. I mean, you, you just don't know what's going to happen. I, I do know that they, they really like this group and they really like how they've come together. Um, but I would say that throughout the league, I mean, you know, I read everything like everybody else does about all the teams. And, you know, usually 75% of the things that are out there never happen. So uh, I think it'll be, you know, closer to, you know, the end of the month, 1st of February. I mean, I think the trade deadline's, Uh, the first week of February. It'll be interesting to see what teams do um, as far as uh, how they're going to position themselves, not just for this year, but for the future. All right, put your general manager's hat on. What piece or pieces would you add to this team to take it to the next level? Well, I think as they move forward, I mean, with their young core, I mean, I think you can always, um, you know, add, add a veteran um, you know, to that, that that has a lot of experience. I mean, if you look over the years at, at what the Pacers have been able to do, I mean, one of the great, you know, signings was signing David West. I think that, you know, enabled the Pacers to go to the Eastern Conference Finals back-to-back years in 13 and 14. So, you know, the great thing that the front office has done is they put themselves in fantastic position from a financial standpoint, uh, from contract standpoint, uh to, to play these young guys this year, but knowing they've got plenty of cap space. I mean, Kevin Pritchard uses the word optionality, and the Pacers have plenty of optionality moving forward. And if you look at a number of the other teams across the landscape of the NBA, I mean, they don't have they don't have a lot of opportunity to do anything. Um, and, and so I think that's the great thing that the Pacers have moving forward, and they're super excited about what they've been able to build. and. Yeah. And again, uh, through 45 games, I think if anybody would have said they'd have 23 wins and be over 500 right now, uh, nobody would have thought that. So um, even despite a four-game losing streak, I think people are, are very pleased with where this franchise is right now. Chris, there's a number of reasons for the Pacers to be happy to have Rick Carlisle at the helm, but the the conversations we get closer and closer to the deadline are going to continue to follow this team a little bit, and in particular Miles Turner, and, and if their Pacers are going to extend him or if they'll move him, whatever they do. Uh, how important and, and what a luxury is that for the Pacers to have somebody as experienced and as tenured as Rick at the helm to, to kind of close out that nonsense and still keep this young group focused on the task at hand? Yeah, I've been fascinated to watch him because you know I, I think he has really enjoyed uh, with this young group and, and building something. I mean, this is a guy that's won a title. Uh, my first year in the NBA back in 06-07 was his last year with the Pacers in his uh, first tour of duty. And so it's been for me just to see, you know, the changes that he's made, you know, as a 20-plus year veteran uh, on the NBA sideline. So uh, I've been very impressed with this staff um, that he put together. Lloyd Pierce, a former head coach. Mike Weiner was with him. Um, in Dallas, uh, Ronald Norad, who I just think is a fantastic uh, young assistant coach. Um, he's going to be a head coach in the NBA one day. Jenny Busick does such a great job. And then you've got somebody like Calvert Chaney and the player development staff. Uh, they have put together a really good staff that really clicks with this, 
with this locker room and this team. And, and, and the other thing is, is when you go to practice or you go to shoot around, it's not just Rick's voice you hear. You hear everybody's voice. I mean, he really empowers his assistant coaches uh, to teach and coach, and that's been really cool to see. Chris, last question on my end. Uh, I think it was Fran Fraschilla that kind of started this, but there's been a number of broadcasters that have been posting whatever you want to call them, score sheets, spotting charts for those that aren't play-by-play broadcasters. These would be the sheets that Chris often tweets out that show your information on your roster, scoring trends, all kinds of nuggets and factoids that you're going to use on a broadcast. You mentioned that you keep all of yours. I was wondering (laughs) if you ever take a peek back and if there's a favorite score sheet or one you're most proud of over the years over your tenure broadcasting games. Um, That's funny. It's uh, I do have them all. Um, I, I guess I don't know why my wife asked me, why do you have all these? (laughs) That's got to be a, a tote that's completely full by now. Oh, Brian, it's mega totes. Uh, <laughs> and, and, but the one thing that I did do when we moved three years ago, um, I really organized them all. And I, and I put them in like sort of year by year. And I even have them, like I said, I have all my Indiana fever uh, sheets that I, I did for 18 years. I have, I think, most every one of my Butler sheets. So, um, you know, the, the one thing is we don't get to go deep into the playoffs. So we only do – um, the first round. So, you know, some of those series back in 13, 14, I have, uh, I go back to my Butler days. Um, you know, I've got the NCAA tournament ones. I go back to the Indiana fever. Um, you know, when the, when the fever won the championship in 2012. So I probably this summer need to go back through and, and reorganize again and maybe pull out some of my favorites and, and put those in a separate tote. Um, you know, I, I saw Mark Boyle. Mark Boyle doesn't keep any of his. And he's got, I think, a fantastic score chart as well. I just have one of, I just am one of those that I like to keep them. And uh, who knows what I'll do with them one day. I'm more in Boyle's camp. I just throw those things away as soon as I'm done with them. But good for you, man. you got to frame some of those. Yeah, I need to do something with them. I mean, I, I have, uh, you know, I've done turn four at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for 20-plus years. And I do a pretty elaborate chart to prepare for that because I don't do, you know, many races. I just sort of come into the 500. I come into Brickyard weekend. So I have a, I have a pretty in-depth chart that I put together for those, and I've got those as well. Uh, I've got the ones that I've done, Big Ten football, Big Ten basketball. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure at some point I'll have to make that decision that I'll have to select the ones that I want to keep and – do something do something with the others well i'll let you go study the game the the chart for tonight's game so you can have a good broadcast tonight (laughs) pacers against oklahoma city you can hear it right here on 107.5 the fan chris thanks for joining us all right thanks great to talk to you brian great to talk to you jimmy thank chris the great chris denary and i'm telling you nobody prepares better for for any broadcast than chris and those those spot charts are phenomenal his handwriting is is impeccable you couldn't you couldn't read mine if you had. Uh, yeah, to. I wasn't I wasn't blessed with that. No. I, I have to type mine all because I the, the old adage is you write it down and it helps you learn it. Well, it'll help me learn it for a second, but then when I go back to reread it, I'm yeah. like I don't know what I yeah, wrote. Yeah, you couldn't read mine. You're listening to the Fan Midday Show. Brian Hammonds, Jimmy Cook, James Adams. We'll be back and talk with Nate Taylor about Eric Bieniemy and other things regarding the Kansas City Chiefs. Stay with us. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 
Jimmy Cook and Brian Hammonds coming to you from the drivehuber.com studios. Colts coaching search continues. One name that has popped up and has been interviewed already by your Indianapolis Colts, Eric Bieniemy. Off. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs, of course, about to take on a familiar South foe in terms of the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's a familiar team name and an ire to the Colts around town. We turn our attention to a man on the beat with The Athletic. It's Nate Taylor. You can follow him on Twitter at ByNateTaylor via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline at MotorShop.com. Nate, I know it's a busy week for you with it being divisional round weekend, but appreciate you taking some time with us all the same and, and jumping right into it in that front. Eric Bieniemy already interviewed with the Colts. He has been a constant interviewee the last four or five coaching cycles. If the Colts do go that route, well, what does he bring to the table to Indianapolis as they try to search for this rebuild in their next quarterback? Yeah, well, well first off, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. Um, you know, I find it fascinating that when the league decided to have coaches, um, this being top-level assistant coaches and both general managers, owners, being able to have a discussion, this was uh, last year, when the league was trying to figure out how they could manage the coaching hiring cycle to not let it be so fast. Um, because one of the downsides to Eric Bieniemy's situation is he's always been in the playoffs with the Chiefs since he's been their offensive coordinator since 2018. If Jim Ursay wants to hire Eric Bieniemy, um, it's going to be fascinating to me because not only is Eric Bieniemy someone who is obviously disciplined mindset, um, I just think he's probably one of the most qualified candidates if you're actually trying to build an honest rebuild, right? If you're not trying to microwave, hey, can we get back to the postseason in a year? Um, which obviously you see teams do that year over year. But I think the enemy brings um, not only discipline, but the advantage of understanding how you can scheme your players up to be successful. And I know everyone discusses Patrick Mahomes. He is the league's best player. He will win his second MVP award, um, you know, momentarily here in a few weeks. But I think when you look at the actual roster that the Chiefs have, the amount of players that have come in and out of that offense outside of Kelsey and Mahomes, um, the Chiefs have made those players by and large better just because Eric Bieniemy is a really good coach, both schematically and learning how to motivate guys, how to use them in the right situations. And the Chiefs are one of the more creative offenses. It has it, it surprised me, obviously, like I think a lot of people have, that Bieniemy has been a part of the most consistent, potent offense in the NFL, learning from a coach who will go into the Hall of Fame the moment he stops coaching, um, to try to figure out how you could replicate that with the players that are on a different roster so that you could build, whether you want to call it a culture, an environment, just a situation where I feel like if you're, again, if you're an owner, if you're a Colts fan that wants your team to be better from week 17 to where they started in week one, um, I think the enemy is a coach that is qualified enough to be given the chance to sort of prove that he can do that, that, hey, what you see in week one is not the same team you're going to see in week 17 and what has made the Chiefs successful beyond just having really good players, is their scheme, their offense sort of evolves as the season moves along. The enemy has interviewed for half the league, and he's over. Why hasn't he been hired to this point, in your opinion? I'm going to give two reasons. One is, and I think the league 
basically admitted this. If you are a coach in the postseason, you don't have a lot of time to sort of convince another owner, hey, I'm the guy if you don't already believe that from an ownership standpoint, which means that you're not having the wide pool of candidates that you normally would if you're obviously trying to get a coach to say, hey, can you stop game planning for like the most important game of the season and like come talk to us and tell us how you would do things? And I think the second issue is um, Eric Bieniemy is a former player, so he does not talk in a way that is, I think, new coach speak or, hey, like he's not going to get, I don't think, super duper into the weeds of analytics or, you know, game plans. I think he is a more old school coach from a former player's perspective that is not as, I would say, um, as enticing to hear as maybe Dan Campbell. But I do think he can sort of fit that Dan Campbell lane where, hey, the Detroit Lions are better with Dan Campbell than when they started with him. Um, and then, you know, part of the second reason is uh, NFL owners are stupid. I mean, <laughs> I, I say it all the time. Like, there's no there's no science to this, guys. Like, sometimes, you know, at your job, they hire somebody who is eh, not the best quality, not the best candidate. But, like, they have a job, so we'll see if they succeed or not. Um there's been a lot of coaches who I think were less qualified or had less years of experience than Eric Bieniemy in the last two years. Some of those coaches don't have jobs anymore. So sometimes it's just a matter of, hey, maybe this isn't the sexiest option, but is this option going to actually help and improve your organization? Are they going to give your team a better chance to win um, than they were two years ago? I mean, no one really knows that answer because no one's given Eric Bieniemy the job. So if Jim Ursay does this, and all of a sudden in two years the Colts are competing with the Jaguars or the Colts are division you know, winners, um, Jim Ursay will look like a genius. But honestly, it'll just be because half of the other owners are dumb enough not to see what's in front of them, which is, hey, Eric Bieniemy might not be sexy, but he is a very good coach. And anyone that you talk to, and obviously covering this team for the last five years, it's pretty evident. It's just for other reasons, there's been other candidates that have been more appealing for various reasons. Um, and that might mean that you have a quality candidate who just hasn't had a chance and has been very committed on trying to prove over and over again that, yes, we can take Tyreek Hill out and we can still be successful. And, yes, Patrick Mahomes, I know this sounds stunning, guys. He's better than he was in 2018. Part of that is is coaching, and you can't just boil it down to one person. Um, But, you know, that's easy for me to say if the – owners if the general managers don't see that or if they want to go with a different direction then that's their prerogative so what would an eric Bieniemy coach team look like in your opinion this is where it gets fascinating because i like to tell people all the time that like the chiefs throw the ball all the time now you could answer that and say well look they got the best quarterback sure they kind of threw the ball a lot in alex smith last season i get the sense that eric Bieniemy is not going to be afraid to pass the ball He's not going to be afraid to develop a quarterback or to keep a quarterback discipline. And I know that there are all the highlights of Mahomes doing, like, absolutely nuts stuff. Um, but one of the reasons why the Chiefs are so good is it's hard to blitz them because Eric Bieniemy handles the protection calls alongside Patrick Mahomes. It's hard to stop the Chiefs in the red zone because Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and Patrick Mahomes come up with these very unique, innovative plays for short-yardage situations. It's hard to beat the Chiefs because on third down, it's like, well – Let's use our most talented players and give them chances to win one-on-one in space, whether that's Travis Kelsey, whether that's Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, guys, um, Jared McKinnon has been in the league for almost 10 years. He's never had a better season than he has right now. And Eric Bieniemy 
just so happened used to coach, I don't know, Adrian Peterson, Jamal Charles, Kareem Hunt. He knows how to get running backs to be both effective in the running game and the pass game because obviously he played the position. It's one of his specialties. So you're going to, I think, see a team that's going to be smart on offense. It's not going to be exactly the same way it is right now with Jacksonville and Doug Peterson. It obviously helps if you have the number one pick and you can, you know, go get the quarterback you want that you think you can obviously succeed with in the future. But I just think it comes down to discipline and really motivating guys throughout the course of a season and utilizing those guys in a way that is, you know, just smart. Like, it's, it's, it's so easy to get into, like, the big picture stuff. And I think that's been one of the issues with the enemy is like, hey, who's going to be on your staff? How are you going to manage things? You know, what is it going to be like? You know, what's going to be your mantra? And I don't know how he succeeds or how he fails in those type of discussions with owners. But when you just look at it and what the team has done, um, it's hard to think that they don't have a game plan where the quarterback can't succeed. And that obviously involves Patrick Mahomes a lot. But look, guys, they won two games with Matt Moore, who was basically signed off the street because he was coaching high school football in the 2019 season. You know, I, I like to remind people all the time, Patrick Mahomes had a dislocated kneecap, missed about a month, came back, and they won the Super Bowl. They don't get that by that year if, if Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, who I think are pretty much tied to the hip, and, you know, if again, if you just want to be a smart owner – Jim Ursay can hear countless sound bites of Andy Reid explaining to us, you know, with me and a lot of my colleagues here in the media in the Kansas City asking the questions, well, like, why is there being better? It's going to be a good head coach. And he's like, because, guys, I've developed, like, seven head coaches. And, like, I know when someone's ready. And Eric Bieniemy is ready. And I give him more responsibility every year. And guess what? The offense stays really, really good every year. So I'd be fascinated, and I would encourage Ursay. When you have some time, you know, uh, if you feel like, you know, Eric had a good interview. Um, and look, there's been a number of years where Andy Reid and Jim Irsay have been in the same owners' meetings on the same locations. And I would just be fascinated to know, like, hey, if you if you want to compete with the Andy Reid, um, Sean McDermott in the divisional round, uh, Doug Peterson in the divisional round, Ron Rivera went to the Super Bowl um, previously when he was with Carolina coming through Andy Reid's sort of program. Matt Nagy was a coach of the year in his first year doing the job, and he had Mitch Trubisky. Um, so there's there's a lot of examples, um, but I just think Eric Bieniemy's team will be disciplined. Um, they're going to have some creativity to them, and I just think he's going to have guys motivated. That's, that's something that I think Travis Kelsey has always told me and always reminded me is, um, because he's a former player, he knows how to get the best out of former players. And then you sort of put the scheme behind that talent. Um, and guys really revere him and respect him here. And so um, I don't know if it's going to happen, guys, but somebody I think is going to get a pretty good coach if they hire Eric Bieniemy. Nate Taylor taking some time for us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com. You can follow him on Twitter at by Nate Taylor, Chiefs writer for The Athletic and host of the Times R's podcast. Uh, caught some of that episode the other day, Nate, and you brought some PTSD from my Chiefs fanhood by dropping the name Damon Heward into my lap. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I bring that up <laughs> if I bring that up because the Colts have gone through a similar era of my childhood as a Chiefs fan of trying to find a quarterback, trying to find their answer. Let's say they go draft first round talent in either Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. People want to point to Patrick Mahomes as a knock against Bianami, but shouldn't that be a strength knowing that he has helped 
with Andy Reid in this development uh, of Patrick Mahomes that he can guide a young quarterback through the rigor of the NFL? Yeah, I really do. And I know this is, again, very schematic, like (laughs) super football weeds, but it's like, can you just protect the quarterback? And I know that makes sense to, like, Colts fans. Can you just protect the quarterback? Now, you need talent at the offensive line position, and the Chiefs have had a very good offensive line since Mahomes um, has been with the team outside of, obviously, that Super Bowl loss to the Buccaneers where, like, half their offensive line was hurt. Um, But, yeah, I think – you just want somebody to understand, like, where are the check downs? What's the down and distance situation? Where could the blitz line be coming from? What are your options to counterattack that? Um, guys, Mahomes is the best quarterback against the blitz. That's been the case for, like, three or four years. And I really do believe that comes down to coaching and that comes down to getting the player to understand what he can get away with, where he can be aggressive, and where he just needs to be um, ultra-super dynamic when having the opportunity. The, the, the Chiefs do not coach Patrick Mahomes to be super duper reckless all the time, but they do use his skills. Obviously, they use him out of structure, out of the pocket. Um, I know that's something that I think probably lends a little bit more to C.J. Stroud when you look at him on film and what they're able to do at Ohio State, particularly in the national semifinal game. Um, I'm super duper fascinated by Bryce Young. I haven't watched a ton of him, but obviously he's got a little bit of an issue with, hey, he's coming from Alabama. He is a similar type quarterback. From Tua Tagovailoa, who, by the way, had a really nice season when he was on the field and healthy. Can he withstand the punishment of the NFL defenses and obviously in a, in a long 17-game season? That remains to be seen. But the reason why the Chiefs got packed for Mahomes is because every other team was like, well, he's just another Texas Tech quarterback who throws the ball 50 times a game, which is true. And then he got paired with some of the best coaching that allowed him to – um, both be dynamic, but also be disciplined. And one of the things that Gary Benemy has really, really tried to get across to Mahomes is, you are so talented, if we just don't turn the football over, we're going to be in the red zone. And then that comes down to, where do we want the matchups to be? How do we want to sort of you know, pinpoint what a weakness is for a defense? How do we want to be creative with misdirection plays and trick plays, or just somehow to get Travis Kelsey open yet again in the red zone? But dude, if you just don't turn the ball over, we're going to put up points. And I think that's something that every young quarterback has to go through. It's like, we all want you to try hard. We all want you to succeed. But possessing the football is really super-duper important, and you can't put points on the board or give the other team an advantage if you have an issue with that. Um, The reason why the Chiefs lost to the Bengals last year is because Mahomes had turnovers in the second half and obviously in overtime of that loss. But – this year, he's thrown 41 touchdowns, and he's had 12 interceptions. So it's a 3-to-1 ratio, which is excellent um, for any quarterback who's throwing the ball that much. I assume the enemy would obviously lean with a young quarterback on play action, on read options to a certain degree, um, and obviously trying to figure out where the best talent is on the roster. But ultimately, like you've got to have a quarterback who can understand what he can get away with, what he can't get away with. And, of course, um, trying to be – able to be effective for much of the game when you know the speed of the game is just so much different from college so it's going to be quite the learning curve but um you would hope that being me and how he builds the staff would allow them to you know be creative without having to be so daring by throwing the football deep down the field which is one of the things that the chiefs have actually done less this year than last year because obviously they don't have tyree kill but they've still been one of the best offenses in the league because they've adjusted to the players that they have, which, again, speaks to coaching and sort of knowing what your players can do well and what they can't do well. 
Nate, I appreciate you making time for us. Always good to hear from you. Look forward to following along the rest of the way for the Chiefs and whatever happens with the enemy. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you anytime. And if he gets hired, I'll, I'd be happy to uh, to give out more insight. But I think I, for Colts fans, you don't want the Arizona Cardinals to sneak in. So I think the two teams that make the most sense for Eric Bieniemy are the Colts and the Cardinals. And the Cardinals have, I've, as I've understand it, yet to reach out, but that might change um, next week. Thank you again, Nate. I appreciate you, sir. Anytime. I'm convinced. Nate Taylor just convinced me. Let's hire Eric. I, I was, I was, I was the same way going in. That affirmed me now as well. Back after this with some bets to close the day. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Back on The Fan Midday Show. Before we wrap things up, Jimmy, we got to get your plays of the day. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my play. This is how I win. It's been cold sledding the last couple of days. We look to bounce back, just focusing on one game and two plays tonight. Going to take the Indiana Pacers. I'm going to buy the hook, so I'll take them at plus four tonight against the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think they bounce back. And I'm also going to take Bennett Matherin over 19 and a half total points tonight. Those plays on Twitter at the Jay Cook. It's been a fun two days for me, fellas. Thanks for holding my hand and getting me through it. No hand holding. Maybe a little bit yesterday, <laughs> but 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 not as much today. I felt like you were you were you were you were driving the driving the ship today. Well, I, to the extent that James allowed you to, anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, kind of, <laughs> kind of got a, the feel for the way things work, the machinations of this show. But it was a lot of fun. We've had some great guests. And I hope we do it again. I would like that very much. A special shout out uh, across the board. Kristen Airy, Paul Casaro, Mike Chappell, Nate Taylor all taking time with us today. And a lot of fun conversations across the board as we continue to view this Colts coaching search and, and get ready for Pacers Thunder tonight. And hopefully the state police have vacated their places on I-70 as I make my way home. Again, thank you very much for having me the last couple of days. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for your phone calls and your comments on YouTube. It's been a pleasure. For Jimmy Cook and James Adams, I'm Brian Hammonds. Thank you for listening to the Fan Midday Show.